0: Kolshak's Loop podcast, episode horror in the Hots.
1: This is Richard Haddam reminding you that if you ever find yourself walking down a lonely country road one night and see your favorite aunt walking toward you, make sure to kill her immediately. And you're listening to the Kolshak's Loop podcast.
0: So I'm here uh, just to intro this episode that's been sitting in the, in the vaults. <laughs> for i guess going on months now this was recorded before september maybe in august so uh, titans was airing at that time you can still find it on hbo max all the episodes have already aired uh, along with doom patrol uh, peacemaker all the other good hbo max shows and dc shows they've got going on you might hear my kids in the background uh just so happens i was editing this episode and the timing just worked out two days ago was the 20th anniversary of the for the mothman prophecies the movie dropping in theaters and then today, uh, at the time this is this is going to drop, it's going to be January 27th, is the 19th anniversary of his show, uh, Rich Haddam's show, Miracles. Actually came out 19 years ago today, so go check those out anywhere you find them. They're definitely out there, so go check out Mothman Prophecies. Go check out Miracles. I, you know, if you've seen Mothman Prophecies, go check out Miracles. It's an interesting show. There's a lot of shows sort of take, doing a take on that. we've You know, we've discussed with Rich in the past, like evil. Uh, which we've talked with Forrest Burgess about. That episode should come sometime. But you know, this is a this was a fun conversation. There the there was a lot of fun, a lot of. Uh you know, alcohol flowing here, but most importantly, this was just a great conversation about probably the best episode, cons- and widely considered by most people, the best episode of Cold shack Besides the few off people I've seen that said Chopper was the best episode in the Cold Shack groups, don't know where that came about, but there is a a vocal minority who thinks Chopper is number one. But here we are. This episode, we're, we're going to get right into it. It's Rich Adam, Horror in the Heights. What more could you want?
2: Last time I was in the loop, there was, oh, hey, listen, you know what we can do? You and I will sit down and have a long chat, right, okay? we sure. rap about chai. I don't trust you, Kolchak. You double cross your own fairy godmother for a story. All right,
0: I got it. Hello and welcome to Kolchak's Loop, a podcast dedicated to all things Kolchak, of course, based on the, uh, from the great novel by Jeff Ross, I am one of your hosts tonight, Bradley, and uh, talking about people we don't trust across the aisle on Zoom. <laughs> of course, somebody we definitely do trust, one Sir Richard Haddam. Richard, how are you doing this, this fine
1: afternoon? I'm doing great, Bradley. It's so nice to be back. You know, tonight's episode, it does really make you think, who do you trust? maybe you trust more people than you think you really do or maybe you trust a lot less wouldn't it be weird if there was a an absolute arbiter within you a line and it said on one side of the line these are the people you really do trust and on the other side of the line are the people you don't trust And even to you, your judgments may be wrong because trust is a split second thing as we learn in this episode. And so wouldn't it be interesting if there was a way to sort of like, you know, put your hand in a box and suddenly get the names of the people in your life you actually do trust
0: yeah, and and oftentimes I think you know sometimes we think of things in black and white, but then there's like that gray area, like, do I trust this person or don't I trust that person? but you're talking what what you're talking about in the split second, I guess you'll find out. Uh, you're sure you sure as heck, will find out if you trust somebody. Uh, and I hope you everyone everyone here trusts us here at Cold Shack Sleep because we're here bringing you the content, bringing you the podcasts. I've got a ton of unedited podcasts sitting on my memory card right now. I need to edit, but we'll get around to that. And so, I'm recording more here to put more stress on myself because my wife's about to have a baby and I'll have a lot of free time while I'm not at work.
1: Uh, whoa, wait, hold on. How this is baby number
0: two, just two, and I think two is a good stopping okay. point. And she, she, uh, she is not necessarily, uh, it's going to, have to be the second boy. And my mom always wanted a girl, so I, I don't know, I don't know.
1: Yeah. It, well, it, it, it comes down to this sometimes. So, I mean, there, there's a million factors, but mm-hmm. does does your wife enjoy being pregnant?
0: Yes, she does, even though she's miserable
1: pregnant. She's
0: absolutely miserable
1: <laughs> pregnant. But she, Wait a second. She's miserable being pregnant, but she enjoys being pregnant?
0: Yes. Yes. 100%. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's weird. See, I, I, I know there, I know some people who only have one child who had planned to have two or three, but the pregnancy was so rough on everybody that they decided, no, I'm never going through that again. And on the other hand, I know people who only plan to have one child, but the mom enjoyed the feeling of being pregnant so much that that became a factor in having a a second child because the feeling was, I felt so great when I was pregnant, I want to have that feeling again.
0: Yeah. And there definitely is aspects with my wife about that. Like just being there and feeling him kick and stuff. But then like the days where she's uh, especially like the back issues, you know, and it and, and seems Ooh. like she's had a lot of problems because, you know, there's like a, a chemical that's released to sort of loosen the, the joints and stuff. And she's sort of uh, yep. that happened really early with her. So she sort of has been dropped. She'll drop things sometimes just because of that. Yep, And, and that's so, a
1: thing. Apparently that boy, you'll learn a lot of weird things when, Oh, when yeah, with someone who's pregnant.
0: Oh, especially like we'll go lay down and I'll be facing the other side of the bed. Sort of she'll say, hey, can can you go brush your teeth? I can smell your breath from here, like from the day or whatever. Like if I oh. brush my teeth. And she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, I can I can smell it from from bouncing off that wall somehow. I'm like, she can smell anything.
1: So, oh, my God. Yeah. the Heightened sense of smell. And then like certain smells that were fine beforehand are bad now like the smell of coffee. Yes. I know sometimes drives, it's like, oh, I used to love coffee and I smell coffee. And it's like, oh my God, I got to get out of the house. Yeah, my,
0: my wife's was chocolate syrup and our son went through a big chocolate milk face. So that was, she said it smelled like wet dogs to her. I was like, that's,
1: that's, Whoa, yeah. that's crazy. Oh my God. You know what? I, 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 I have so much respect. Oh yeah. For the women in our lives who have gone through that experience because I just don't, I I, I don't want to speak for all men, but I don't think I would do very well.
0: Oh no, no. I would be the biggest baby in the world about that. So here, here, raise a glass to women everywhere. We're a, cheers he's got some vodka and tonic and a nice looking day of the dead themed mug here i really enjoy it oh yeah which hey speaking of that speaking of uh close to south of the border maybe this is sort of close enough but i i remember seeing on twitter and i followed them that page that did your ah, that you did that map that they had the map let me see if i can find it. i don't
1: oh um hog, hog island, island press. press yes 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 yes
0: you had the monster weekend in new mexico with the skinwalker and man that was a fun read a really an uh, enjoyable read because you know the first thing I, I do when i get into a city like i, I traveled to nashville a little bit in, in atlanta a little bit especially before i had kids but i would go and that's the first thing you go and you hit the places you eat like the little hole in the wall diners and stuff that, and, and then you go and you visit, you know, the sites and stuff, but man, I really, I really enjoyed that article, man. It was really good. Uh, I definitely Well,
1: you should get, give Mark a call. I mean, he's, you know, he's looking for more people to do uh, these monster weekends. So if you've got, you know, if you've got a, a, a Nashville uh, themed adventure, you know, just take a look at the map that hog Island press has with all the different, you know, the the regions and where certain cryptids are known to dwell. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you.
0: You know, which we talked about, there's the white thing in thing in North, actually right around here that I think I might've heard, but not really sure. But there've been like sightings. Oh, right, 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 right. Somebody else, Sarah Voorhees-Wendell, the the editor of Astonishing Legends. She lives in Nashville. So she. she
1: Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh, oh, I I know who that is. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Was she at the uh, podcast uh, meetup? Yeah, she
0: was. Yeah, we had well, I had lunch with her and Forrest and uh, Scott, and of oh, course cool. she. I think she's almost she's as pregnant as my wife is, so I think. Oh, that, wow. I think she might be due a few weeks later. It, she's really enjoyable to talk to, really fun. Uh, they are they're all all the group of them, you know, the astonishing legends groups. You know, let's have a drink to them too because they they sure do know how to good have good time and keep good people around them like Rich who we have here
1: tonight. <laughs> here's here's to astonishing legends.
0: We're here having drinks. Uh, I'm having actually a little bit of the rocks tequila, uh, the Terramana tequila that he made a little bit of that with some, uh, I call it horror in the Sprites and you can use Sprite or ginger beer. And then you use a little bit of bitters and a little bit of blackberry brandy of, of sorts. And it, you know, just mix it all together. And
1: uh, it sounds delicious. I, 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 it. I have to try it.
0: And what are you having tonight, Rich, for the, for the afternoon?
1: Um, I've got Tito's vodka. And Fever Tree Mediterranean tonic water. Hmm. I've just discovered the Fever Tree uh, tonic waters. They've got like different flavors. They've got like a cucumber one and a lemon one, and the Mediterranean, which has a little bit of rosemary in it. And I I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I, I just need regular tonic. But somehow, I forget where we were. I think. Susan and I were up in Santa Barbara something, but we ended up, I was like, oh, this one has cucumber in it. And she likes that. So we tried it and it's like, oh, this is a lot better than I thought it would be. Cause that kind of thing, that kind of flavoring can go wrong really quick, but it's pretty subtle. And then I tried a few of the others and it's really, really great. So I'm like, okay, this, and you can sort of just like the lemon ones I just drink. They're like lemon soda. So it, it's almost like having a cocktail, but there's no booze in it. So
0: yeah, I, I dig it, man. Let's see. What else? Uh, have you been watching? We we let's catch up with Rich. Have you been watching anything recently on TV? Anything you're checking out besides DC's Scott and on HBO Max every Thursday?
1: Hell, yes, of course that. What have I been watching? Uh, well, I'm I'm sort of, I'm going back to a show. Well, when I say going back, it's been, it's been out for a few years. I haven't seen it. It's a show called Shrill, which is great. Mm-hmm. Starring a woman named AD Bryant. It takes place in Portland. It's just about this. It's basically about a woman who is just sort of like going through her life. She works for a newspaper in Portland. And it's sort of, it's one of those half hour shows that's sort of funny, but like not an out and out comedy, but it's about her finding her voice as a journalist. It kind of starts, it's based actually on an actual journalist who went through an experience. She's sort of, we'll say non-traditional body type. She's, she's kind of big. Mm-hmm. And she started getting trolled at, in a really cruel and kind of aggressively, you know, scary way. And she confronted the person who was trolling her and and sort of began this dialogue with that person. And so that's an element of the show, but not a really big one. But it's just more about her life. It's really interesting and really cool. And I'm enjoying that. I'm also watching Ted Lasso with the yeah. rest of yeah. America. That show's great. And then and then we had to go back to uh the Mary Tyler Moore show just oh, this yeah. week, just in the yeah. last night. Yeah. And then I before because Ed Asner passed away. So it's, I, I said to Susan, I'm like, you know what? Let's watch, let's put in some classic Mary Tyler Moore. Let's watch uh, Ed Asner in his classic role. And he's just so great.
0: Yeah, he is. You know, I remember him. I used to. Watch, I saw this movie. I think it was in the seventies. Actually, around the time I think seventy four, maybe when Colshack was came out, called The Wrestler. And of course, I'm a huge wrestling fan. He was actually there, and he runs his own promotion, like in the movie. And he doesn't oh, really. Yeah, and I loved it. It's a there's a, you know there's people in there like Vern Gagne, who was a big wrestling promoter back in the day. There's actually real people in the movie who were adjacent to wrestling, <laughs> the time. So, and it's really cool. Like people die in the ring and stuff. And he's got to figure all this out. And it's really cool, like to see it as in a lot of great things, man. A lot of great things yeah
1: yeah he's great he was pretty old the weird thing is now the only the only two people from the mary tyler moore show who were regulars semi-regulars mm-hmm. that are still alive are john amos and uh betty white and betty white is the oldest of all of them yeah and she lived longer than any of them so uh i mean again except for john amos who i think is quite a bit younger i see th- i mean, I think Betty White's 99 and I think John Amos might be in his eighties. I don't think he's in his nineties for sure.
0: Yeah. You know, Betty White just lives outlives everybody. Don't you Though know? She's just, I like guess that. so. She's just like that. It's awesome. Uh, I've been, let's see. What have I been watching? Uh, I've been watching this McCartney, uh, three, two, one on Hulu and I've been in the Beatles mood and it's great. Just it's McCartney and Rick Rubin who he's when was a producer for a, uh, slayer uh who else red hot chili peppers just a bunch of different bands uh he did some AC/DC albums but they're just sitting with a console and, and they're just sitting talking about music they got a console on a piano and it's just paul breaking down his songs talking about it you know and i think paul McCartney's like the coolest guy in the world you know it's rich had yeah. and then slightly above rich adams paul mccartney just by smith that's about
1: right yeah i understand that yeah so, that, that makes sense but but I love him, Carney. That's pretty awesome. I, you know, for a guy like myself who has no musical ability at all, and I cannot sing, I cannot play any, any instrument. I'm fascinated with bands and um, like uh, documentaries about bands and about mm-hmm. musicians. And, and it, it, it's just, because it just strikes me as this magical form of creativity that like I cannot approach on any level. Um, I just saw, I think it was on Netflix. They, there's a uh there's a documentary about the Go-Go's. Oh um, yeah. And you know you're much younger than I am but I kind of grew up with the Go-Go's when I was in high school and 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 you know was always sort of you know fascinated it's like oh the the all girl band but it's weird to look back and realize they're still kind of the only band of that kind that was all women who played all their own instruments and wrote all their own music and and apparently they're I mean in terms of bands that have achieved huge chart success they are they're unmatched and the story of their of their you know rise to fame and then their breakup is amazing so
0: Man, I'll check that out because I'm, I'm a big documentary guy, too. And, uh, you know, that's one of the fun things, too, is Paul talks about, you know, running into Hendrix and, and hearing him play like a song that they had released on the album two days earlier from Sergeant Peppers. You know, he just sort of rips it out. And I love Hendrix. Love that uh, talk, he That's talks, so great. and then even when they're at the mixing board and he like, Hey, let's, and then he brings up some of the vocals isolated of him. And then he brings all the music down and he hit a bad note and it may ended up on the recording and he pulls everything down. He's like, this is why we don't start digging around into this stuff. Like he sort of seemed embarrassed, but it's sort of like a cute little moment, you know, of, uh, I love that. but, uh, I've been watching that me and my wife, uh, we try to watch the twilight zone. Some used a use twilight zone fan, but she's never watched it. So I'm sort of trying to trickle oh. those through. We watched that totally
1: holds up. I think Twilight Zone holds up great.
0: So we watched a Nick of Time last night, the one with uh William Shatner when in the the table where the machine, the little uh you yes. know, put a penny in. Rich
1: Richard Matheson wrote that one. That yeah, one's great. I love that one. That one actually reminds me of the Mothman prophecies because that one's all about he can't understand, but suddenly it's controlling his life. And he loses all his own decision making, and and I just love that. There's something very, there's something very like to me, kind of touching and very human about how quickly we can we, we can unravel our own psyches.
0: Yeah, man. Because I mean, it's it, it all takes place in this little little contained little town, like a small town that could be anywhere, you know. So, I mean, it's just it's just really cool. Let's see what else I've seen. Is there anything else? Of course, DC's Titans. Uh, I've been watching American Horror Story. Uh, that was a good one that I've been watching. They, apparently, this season's about a rider. It's about like basically this guy going off to the to the East Coast to ride and trying to find his inspiration. And he finds his inspiration in a very unlikely way. And uh, there's some very interesting consequences that very horror esque just takes a turn just out of nowhere. And, it sounds very
1: Stephen Kingy.
0: Oh, it's very it's it's very Stephen King heavy. Uh, and it's called Double Feature. So there's supposed to be Aliens and, and something else. So I don't know how. I guess we'll find out.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm I'm used to the fact that that especially now well not even now, I guess even back then, because the shining was like this. But the and I love Stephen King, but it's it's kind of shocking how much of his stuff is about writers. Yeah. And I I just started reading his new book, Billy Summers, yeah, which yeah. just came out a few weeks ago. And without giving anything away, he found a way to make it about a writer. <laughs> uh, I'm like, yeah. really? Wow. Okay. Did not see that coming, but I guess I should have.
0: Yeah. King King's one of those. And, and Rodney Barnes, like he, he worships at the altar of King of rightfully so, but he, he read that book. I think he had it probably read within the first few days it came out because Rodney Barnes is oh like a God. diehard King guy. But tonight we are talking about horror in the Heights. Of course, a great one, a great one here and i will give my opinion on it later the conclusive opinion but i I definitely really enjoyed this and i I really haven't found one that i've hated that i have thought like hey this is not good oh good because even like the ufo found redeeming qualities about it like there were some things like even besides the monster you know being sort of invisible i thought you know that's a little uh what was the one i had the most problems with it was the one with the where they it was the the firefall was the one I probably had the most qualms with just reusing footage and, and some of the, in the ending and I don't know, sort
1: of. Yeah. That, that one's never been one of my favorites. That was one that I never saw in, in the original run. And then they did that weird thing where they took four episodes. They, 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 like, they joined two episodes and two other episodes and sort of stitched them into these weird, movies that they they were like tv movies but sort of retrofitted and then they were released theatrically in europe and they don't quite work but but somehow i saw i even saw those before i saw the actual full episodes from which they were taken and so it, it sort of left a bad taste in my mouth for for all of those uh there was it was the it was it was the firefall episode married to the energy eater episode. Oh. Uh that, that that's the uh the one where the 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 spirit in the hospital that's yeah. uh mm-hmm. sort of attracted to electricity. Those were stitched together and called Crackle of Death. And then they took the uh, Demon in Lace and the Mummy episode and called it the Demon and the Mummy and connected those and that didn't work and 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 so I uh, again when you watch those episodes separately in their own thing, we can talk about them. But but yeah, yeah those four episodes always have this weird haze of confusion uh, in my memory because I, I can't quite remember where what's in what episode. And I don't know.
0: Yeah, because it's weird, and that was the thing I was looking at dates. So for whatever reason, I I'd like to do my notes out in advance. So I'm trying to get all my notes done, and I was looking at at you know, hey, where that what's happening? So they it starts airing, and we're close to the end of the year here. I think this episode aired de- December twentieth. So it takes a, so after this, there's like an off week, and they air vampires again. So then there's a special on illegal aliens January third. So they skip another week. Which oh was, my god, that was weird. So then they come back January tenth, but now instead of being at ten, it's at eight. And then on February twenty first, it's they do a, a Jacques Cousteau special, and then and then they start just doing weird stuff like they air re air or Horror in the Heights at the end of February, they air re air Firefall sometime in the middle, and then the final episode happens. And then the, and the whole thought was, oh, this is going to be the end. They're going to air a new show, but no, they end up like from April fourth to July fourth, they air just reruns, just for whatever reason. Yeah,
1: that's when I saw the show. It was in it was in those reruns from late April on through summer, as far as it went but it's really weird. Did you say that originally the show aired at 10 o'clock? Yeah. Yeah.
0: 10 o'clock. And then they moved it back to eight. What that
1: is so strange. I, I I can sort of like, it sort of makes more sense as a 10 o'clock show because it is, you know, theoretically scary. Some of the episodes are more overtly violent than others. And I know that was, that was a thing back in the day. It's like eight o'clock was considered the family hour. And yeah, you yeah. know, the, anything you aired at eight o'clock was supposed to be, you know, rated G more or less. And then at nine o'clock, a little bit more adult content. And then at 10 o'clock were the more serious cop shows and stuff that it's like, you know, they would talk about, you know, heroin and stuff like that. And yeah. you know, by then kids were in bed.
0: Yeah. So it is sort of weird that they swapped these to eight and then, and then they just started rerunning episodes and then they started airing them on Saturdays before football, like, but before the college football started, they started airing them on Saturday nights. Like oh, they, and
1: what, what month was that? When August,
0: did that it was August 16th and August 23rd and August 30th. They ran uh, the werewolf zombie and the ripper. And then the 29th, they started NCAA football. And then that was the last call shack for 75 at least. And then, of course, later in 75, I think on the same channel, they ended up having uh, SNL, ended up airing in October. But then I saw something else. There was apparently a show called Howard Cosell's SNL yep. that, that was a complete bomb.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, well, Saturday Night Live was was originally called Saturday Night Live. And and then just before they premiered, NBC premiered another show that was like a variety show hosted by Howard Cosell, which was like, again, primetime Saturday nights. And it was called Saturday night live. And so for the first year, I think, or maybe more than the first year, maybe just the first year that it aired, it was simply called Saturday night because they Mm -hmm. couldn't call it Saturday night live. But then, and, and, and in fact, that's why even to this day in that little opening segment, they say, Live from New York. It's Saturday night. Oh. Because that's the name of the show. And that became the tradition even though after the Howard Cosell show went away, they went back and said, "Could we have the live back?" And then it's like, "Oh yeah, you can be Saturday Night Live now." And now it's of course known as Saturday Night Live. But yeah, that first year it was not.
0: Yeah, and and that's one of those things. Saturday Night Live is one of those shows that I love to watch, but it, sometimes I'll just fall off and I won't watch it for a while. But then when I pick back up, I'll get caught up on it. I'll be like, man, these episodes and
1: dude, it's been on for forty five years. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it, you 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 can step away from the TV for decades and come back and there it is.
0: Oh yeah, you know. And speaking of that, one thing we didn't do last time, let's do the uh, the something I like to call the TV Guide segment of the week.
2: This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading, TV Guide.
0: And, Rich, this is just a segment where I talk about what was airing this week in television. So this is the week of December 20th, 1974. On CBS, you had The Planet of the Apes, Up Above the World So High. The movie at 9 o'clock was Kansas City Bombers from 1972. On ABC, you had Kung Fu, The Vanishing Image. At nine, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Peeping Blonde. And at 10 o'clock, you had our uh, lovely Kolshak with Horror in the Heights. And on NBC, you had Sanford and Son, The Merger. At 8.30, you had Chico and the Man, Natural Causes. At 9, you had The Rockford Files, Profit and Loss. And head-to-head with Cole Shack, you had Policewoman, Shoe Fly. Any any of those other shows you remember watching as a kid?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, Rockford Files, if, if not for Kolshak, so, Rockford would be my favorite show. The fact that Rockford actually you know went for six seasons and night stalker only went for one you know it it added up to more viewing but yeah i'm a huge rockford fan rockford's the reason i write for tv really Uh, that that was oh yeah that that was the show that i that i saw and and that i first really became aware that the show had a voice and was being written what i didn't realize was that that voice was primarily Stephen j cannell but but i mean again i'm talking you're looking at a guy at that point i was what 11 12 years old maybe yeah. and here's okay so here's the joke night stalker aired in 1974 and 1975 i didn't catch it until like the last few months it was on and then it went off the air and then it was gone and then okay so that was 75 then about three years later four years later i guess in 79 it started airing locally in los angeles in reruns on friday nights at 11:30 on cbs CBS had a thing called the CBS Late movie mm-hmm. and so five nights a week they would have it really wasn't a movie. it was usually just a rerun of a primetime cop show. but on Friday nights they would air the Night stalker and when you grew up in that era, there there weren't any you know DVDs, there was no cable. When a show was not being aired, it was unavailable. you just it didn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. So the fact that they were running the reruns, I became obsessed. And it's like, oh, my God. I mean, I just by chance noticed that it was running late night. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to watch this. But it was on at 1130. Now it was on a Friday night, which was OK, which meant I could stay up late and watch it. But I wasn't really used to staying up till 1130. Like it was a big it was like a big thing. Like, how am I going to stay awake that late and then start watching a show at 1130? So it's like, OK. I got to, I got to plan out my night. So at eight o'clock, I'll watch whatever, you know, I forget what was on, but then at nine o'clock, I'm like, well, what's on nine o'clock on Friday in 1979. I'm like, oh, the Rockford files. I don't know what that is, but okay. I'll I'll give that a try. And so I, I started, that's how I started watching the Rockford files. It became part of my Friday night ritual. And this started like in May of 79 and then went all summer so by the end of the summer, I was a huge Rockford Files fan because that was one of the shows that, you know, got me from 9 oh, to yeah. 10 and then 10 to 11, then 11 to 11.30. And then finally at 11.30, I could watch uh, Shack. So yeah, but Rockford was a revelation. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is like a crime show, but it's funny. And I, I mean, it blew me away. And then I just followed everything Stephen J. Cannell did. And then, you know, literally three years after that, I was... I was writing TV scripts, you know, just trying to do it, seeing it's like, okay, I'm going to write an episode of the A-team. And I, you know, come home from high school and sit down and work on my A-team episode.
0: Man, that is so cool. Like, because that was sort of one of the things, like, I guess what got me, I never tried to write. I tried to write plays. Like, I've written a couple of plays that I don't know, like one was like about Napoleon during the, uh, right before during the French revolution. Cause I got one through like a French revolution phase and I, I just wrote a play about Napoleon in a jail cell and like the French revolution. Cause I I don't know. That was one of my things. Like I just got into, but, man, that's awesome that you just, that, that Rockford files got you into that, man. That's so cool. So without the Rockford files, we may not have some of the, we, you know, we wouldn't have pretty much like I would say, you know, and you don't have to say anything about this. Cause I know you're, you're a humble guy, but like the quintessential, like, cryptid movie of all time like it's one of the things like if people who aren't into cryptids like it's one of those they see and it get delves them into the world because like mothman prophecies is like that the the movie man even and and it gets you curious and so here's the thing uh, cool about the mothman prophecies and damn it we're getting off in this again but i'm just gonna quick 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 aside about the mothman <laughs> prophecies is you created your own individual story and then when people like like it's sort of like if you would have made like a straight adaptation it probably wouldn't have been a good movie to start with we've talked about that before but also like you would have laid everything out for his people but then when people go and they're like man that Mothman was mighty weird let me go and read about it like what what this happened and it's like people discover what really happened it's like wow the movie was because you know sometimes like most of the time movies are like over the top but it's the exact opposite for the mothman so people like discover this and it like you're like the bait and then the the under the surface <laughs> hook as soon as they read into well, it.
1: Yeah, I mean, so so much stuff was going on in the book that was so interesting. I mean, and the Mothman was just part of it, uh you know. And for me, there was a lot of other stuff that was even more interesting. But I remember at the time, I just thought, wow, the the, the Mothman is such a weird, unique thing that only happened in West Virginia in Point Pleasant in 1966 and 67. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, I don't really like, I don't have anything to connect that to as opposed to like Bigfoot, you know, (laughs) Bigfoot gets seen, it has been seen in every single state, I believe, including Hawaii, I think, I mean, there, there might be one state, there's never been a report, but I mean, it's Bigfoot has been seen everywhere and all over the world. So it's sort of this worldwide phenomenon, whatever it is, but Mothman is like, I've never even heard of this. But now with all the stuff happening in Chicago, now I'm like, oh, maybe it is. Maybe it's just like a, it, it's not seen as much, but it does flare up in different areas. So, and it's funny that that movie gets people interested in cryptids because you never really see the Mothman. man. It's not like, again, not like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or something, but you know, Hey, whatever gets somebody into cryptids that that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's all that matters that they get there.
0: Oh, 100%, 100%. And again, we always end up coming back to Mothman because everything comes back to Mothman eventually. So uh, another segment we'd like to do here we is is I'm going to talk about a little bit about the cast and crew. I'm going to run through this, and uh, I'm going to talk about some of their other works and maybe get your opinion on some of these.
2: This is going to be, and that's where the zombie's going to be. And that's where I'm going to be. Wait for me! No! I'm coming! Get back!
1: In.
0: And the reason, and the reason we play that is because that was Wallowitz's mom on The Big Bang Theory, and everybody, you know, that's one of the big connections from Kolchak. I'm going to dig into the cast and crew, and, and uh, you can just kick back and relax this part, and while I do a bunch of uh, unnecessary reading that probably people won't even pay attention to, but this, of course, is the uh, "Horror in the Heights" episode aired December 20th, 1974. The cast is Darren McGavin as Carl Kolchak, Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo, Phil Silvers as Harry Starman. Murray Matheson as Mr. Lane Barriott. Abraham Zofar as Ali Lakshmi. Benny Rubin as Julius Buck Feynman. Shelly Novak as Officer New York. Barry Gordon as Barry the waiter. Jack Greenwich of course, as Ron Updike. Ruth McDevitt as Emily Cowles. Ned Glass as Joe. Jim Goodwin as Frank Rivas. Eric Server as Officer Boxman. John Blyfer as Charlie. Herb Vigren as Mr. Sol Goldstein. Naomi Stevens as Miriam, Miss Miriam Goldstein, Robert Carnes as Officer Thomas, and three people non-credited in this episode. Peter Paul Eastman as an antique shop owner, Leota Richards as a police officer's mother, and Hake Robinson as a police officer. This, of course, was directed by Michael Caffey. Okay, we'll go with that. Produced by Sy Shermack and written by Jimmy Sangster. And this is, of course, based on the novel... By Jeff Ross. Do you have any information on the on Jimmy Sangster, anybody? I know he did The Curse of Frankenstein and Dracula for the Hammer films, right? Did he write anything else? I didn't. Um, he,
1: my understanding is that he was a British writer, mostly of prose. I think he wrote novels and short stories. So it was sort of, I, I've never quite gotten the full story on on how and why he wrote an episode. I do, my understanding is that it was then substantially rewritten to sort of be a Night stalker episode by David Chase. So I think the original the original concept and storyline existed, but it just didn't feel very much like a Night stalker episode. And so it, it sort of got you know coal shacked up a little bit, which happens in television. I mean that's that's what you do. you know, there's typically a writer, uh, either the showrunner or someone toward the top of the pecking order, that uh that will go through a script if for some reason it just doesn't feel like it's it's got the smell of the show on it
0: yeah yeah um oh i dig it i dig it and other works by casting and crew and this is going to be an exhaustive list of about a few people that i just thought were really interesting so phil silvers was of course in the phil Silvers show it's a mad 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 world The beverly hillbillies the cheap detective happy days and chips Murray Matheson was in Tales of Tomorrow, the Phil Silver show. Alfred Hitchcock presents. He was the clown in the season three Twilight Zone episode. Five characters in search for an exit. The Invaders, Night Gallery, Battlestar Galactica, The Company, and the Twilight Zone movie. Abraham Zofair was in H.G. Wells' Things to Come. The Ghost of Berkeley Square. The Story of Mankind. Uh, he was Dr. Steelman in the season one Twilight Zone episode, The Mighty Casey. Alfred Hitchcock presents. Twice told tales. The Outer Limits. The Time Tunnel. Lost in Space. I Dream of Jeannie and Star Trek. Benny Rubin was in Lord Byron of Broadway, Citizen Kane, which that's funny. Later on, we'll talk about that. The Red Skeleton Hour, The Beverly Hillbillies, The Famous Adventures of Mr. Magoo, The Munsters, The Ghost in the, in, the, in the Invisible Bikini, which is an interesting horror movie. I Dream of Jeannie, The Ghost of Mr. Murr. And he was an, or- an Orson Welles' film that holds the record for the longest production time, which is 48 years, 2018's The Other Side of the Wind. Shelley Novak was in The Outsider. Barry Gordon was in Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Hands of a Stranger, Love at First Spot, Mr. and Mrs. Dracula, Body Slam, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I love their Kirby Enthusiasm, and he was the voice in Jabberjaw, The Kid's Super Power Hour with Shazam, Pac-Man, The Mighty Orbots, Galavant's Pole Position, The Smurfs, The Jetsons, Superman, Snorks, Gravedale High, Darkwing Duck, Space Cats, Tom and Jerry, The Kid's Show, Batman, the animated series, the pink Panther, Ah real monsters. And was Donatello, bebop, and many others in the famous eighties, teenage mutant Ninja turtles cartoon.
1: Wait, so who was that last one? Obviously they did a lot of voiceover stuff. Who was that? Barry Gordon. Oh, Barry Gordon. Yes. I'm Barry Gordon. A, a guy with a face and a voice. If you watch television in the seventies, you definitely know him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Eric server was in dogs, Royal dolls, tales of the unexpected, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, Knight Rider, The A-Team uh, and Werewolf. Naomi Stevens was in Playhouse 90, was the Ross- Washroom attendant in the season one Twilight Zone episode Mirror Image, the Alfred Hitchcock hour and my favorite Martian. And lastly, Robert Carnes was Robbins in the season three Twilight Zone episode The Arrival. Alfred Hitchcock presents. It's a mad, 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 mad world. The outsider night gallery, Columbo, and the Clone Master. Uh so that was an exhaustive list, but you know, a lot of good, good information there, hopefully, that I'd spend hours on that nobody probably noticed.
1: <laughs> but uh yeah. well well the thing is a, a lot of people i mean as as you know people like phil silvers were pretty i mean they're famous people and yeah. these were big guest stars back when guest stars made a difference on television but the night stalker was noted for its i mean so many people as you go through the episodes i mean you were talking about primal Screen, jamie farr from mm-hmm. mash was there, but Phil Silvers, I mean, you know, he's, and, and I, I get the feeling that they showed up because of Darren McGavin, because he was a legit TV and movie star. Oh yeah, And and so if they were a little bit hesitant, it's like, what is this show? It's a monster show. And then it's like, no, no, yeah, it's, it is. But, you know, you've got Darren McGavin, you've got Simon Oakland. And I think they were sort of like, okay, okay. Well, as long as I'm doing my scenes with Darren McGavin, sure, what the hell?
0: Yeah, yeah, but Phil Silver's character was so perfect in this. And I think what we need to do is we need to move on to the episode discussion. And hopefully, and before that, I need to do the see if I can find my Shack book. I need to do the story summary, but here we go.
2: There are sections of Chicago the guidebooks don't refer to. You can't blame them, really. The guidebook's function is to sell the glamour and excitement of our windy city. And whichever way you dress it up, old age is neither glamorous nor exciting. Roosevelt Heights used to be a plush neighborhood. But the plush neighbors moved uptown, leaving the old people. And old people don't move easily. They become set in their surroundings. Their friends live next door. They've been going to the same store for 25 years. And probably most important of all, they can't afford to relocate, even if they wanted to. The battle of fixed income versus galloping inflation never ends. But even inflation took a backseat here in Roosevelt Heights, as a far greater fear overtook the residents. A terror which effectively dwarfed everything else. October 14th, one Harry Starman was about to break the law. He'd done it before many times. Gambling on Friday night was forbidden by Hebrew law. So, to escape his wife and to escape going to temple, Harry and his cohorts took drastic measures. There were other residents of Roosevelt Heights. The locals had tried to get rid of them a couple of times, but what with the fact that the garbage collection wasn't as efficient as it could have been, they just hadn't been too successful.
0: We're, of course, pulling this from the the great not stalking a 20th uh, anniversary companion by one and only uh, Mr. Mark Woodsyak, and this is his description of horror in the heights. Synopsis, the mysterious deaths of senior citizens pulls INS reporter Carl Kolshak into the plot of a low income neighborhood. Harry Starman, the friend of a recent victim, believes the grisly murders are the work of a Nazi group stirring up anti-Semitism as proof. He shows Kolschak swastikas painted all over the neighborhood. But the swastika is a symbol that appears in several cultures. Centuries before Hitler appropriated the symbol, it was used by Greeks, Navajo Indians, Aztecs, Mayans, Pueblos, and Dakotas. Following the symbols, Kolschak finds an elderly Hindu at first. The reporter thinks that this old man is in some way responsible for the deaths. During another visit, however, the elderly Hindu tells Kolchak about the Rakshasa, an evil spirit that appears to its victims as the likeness of a trusted friend. Wooed into the arms of the demon, they are chewed to pieces. The old man gives Kolchak a special crossbow that can kill the Rakshasa. If you have the nerve to shoot the person to whom you've given your trust, Kolchak believes he's safe because he doesn't trust anybody. Ah, but there is one person. Down a dark alley shuffles the sweet and loving figure of Miss Emily. Carl tells her to stop. He knows it's the Rakshasa, but maybe not. He implores her to stop. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. I'm going to have to shoot you. He warns her in an almost caring voice. He shoots later. He'd like to tell Miss Emily that he trusts her so much that the beast took her form, but he'd also have to tell, tell her that he shot her with a crossbow. So, man, great stuff by Mark Woodsyak there. Um, I would say get this book, but it is long out of print. And uh, with him working on his Edgar Allan Poe book, who knows if it will make it to the 50th. He he said that he's going to try to get it out at least next year, though, if he can't get it out for the 50th and, or for the 50th anniversary.
1: Oh, you mean another edition of the uh, shack book? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's trying to. Uh, oh, that's make-
1: great. Well, there's there's two ver- there's that that's the original version. And then there's one from, I think, 10 years later. There's yeah. there is another update. And then uh, but it, w- it would be great if there's a if there's another one uh, coming down the pike. That'd be fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah. So, you know what? How about we get into an episode discussion?
2: It's a contagious psychosis.
0: Dog chain.
2: That's my theory, and I checked it out with a few psychiatrists. There's a definite pattern to the killings. They seem to come in bunches. Pockets? Mostly. Some semi-pros. There was an Italian who specialized in flower girls.
0: So here we are talking about the episode. You know, I love the intro scenes. We got a good shot of the loop there, the train going around. I love that shot. Uh, and then we see the first shot of these old men, you know, getting together to play poker. Uh, we get a gnarly shot of like rats eating meat and stuff. Like, you know, that that was pretty, pretty intense. You know,
1: I was just going to say, I, I never, I, I, it took me a long time to understand what I was looking at. It's like, why, why is Phil Silver's walking past dumpsters of like sides of beef with rats crawling in them. And then, and then after, after seeing the episode a couple times, I'm like, okay, well, clearly this is some sort of meat packing plant, I guess. And they're throwing out some bones or something and rats right. are crawling over them or something. Okay. But it was a little bit weird.
0: Yeah, definitely. Really weird. And remind me something whenever we get to the part. So Robert said there was a part that was clearly inspired your, the Titans
1: in this episode. Is that correct? I don't, Oh, oh, there was a, in, in season two, in episode six that I wrote, uh, there, there was late in the episode, there was a reference to something at, uh, Cadmus labs, a secret Uh, project called project rock Oh
0: yeah. Okay. Okay. I completely, I I think I wrote that down and completely. Yeah. Yeah. So clear. Yeah. there.
1: I I put it in there and I'm like, this is never going to make it. You know, I'm going to put this in here and someone's going to go, oh, either a, we don't know what that is. And it sounds stupid and forget it. Or, no, that's a reference to some other thing. And it's confusing to people, but no one ever spotted it. And I'm like, you know what? Good. It's there for anyone who wants to enjoy a reference to the Night Stalker. It's there.
0: Did Jeff Johns, is he a Shack guy or have you ever talked
1: to him about it at all? I don't. I. He's got to be. He's got to be. I. I. I feel like we must have talked about it because, at the first Halloween party at Titans, I dressed as Kolchak, <laughs> as I often do. <laughs> I just every once in a while, I'll just put on the seersucker suit and the hat wow. and see what people say. But um, I, I, I'm. I'm certain. I have a vague memory. Again, there was. You know. It, there, it was all the Berlanti shows. It was Arrow and Flash and Legends oh, of Tomorrow yeah. and Supergirl that, that is and cool. Black Lightning and all these shows because all the all the writing staffs were in one building in Burbank. Yeah. And it was it was three stories and we would walk past each other's rooms and talk to each other all the time. And, you know, what's going on over here? And, you know, when we had this Halloween party, people from other shows came in. Anyway, we were making drinks. And I have a vague memory. At one point, I went up to Jeff and I said, do you know who I am? And he looked at me and he's like, I think you're Carl Kolschak. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, God, that's amazing. Yeah. So he he knew at least that much.
0: Yeah. So uh, that means Rich is going to have going to make sure we get Jeff on the show. Me, Rich and Jeff Johns talking. Jack, uh Rich can make that happen. Easy peasy. One call text I'm that's
1: sure. right i just pick up a phone jeff uh, he's jeff just, johns he's he not he's, everything
0: he's not a busy guy it's not like he's you know not at all over all of dc at one point all, all over over all the dc comics at one point. he's not doing anything so uh oh, yeah
1: i'm sorry uh, Brad, he's here right now jeff come on <laughs> get over here don't hide over there it's just no <laughs> Uh, he doesn't want to. Oh, okay, right.
0: okay, yeah. Totally so left. you know, The Rock actually is in Black Adam now in the DC universe. So the next, the next party, whenever Dwayne Dwayne the Rock Johnson is there, uh, you know, just just let him know. Say, so, hey, you know, we we actually mentioned your tequila on the Shack podcast, Shack Sleep Podcast. I'm sure he. He don't have a lot. Uh, yeah, it. it's not like he's busy. He'll
1: he'll send you. I uh, he'll send you a case of tequila. 100 percent.
0: Okay. Actually, he, actually, that's how I got this. He knew about Cole's Jacks Loop. He already sent it in the mail. He said, "Man, I'm. You know, ironically enough, I'm friends with a guy who actually got mentioned on the Today Show. He looks like the Rock. I don't know if you saw that. He got. It's like yeah. a viral thing. He's a police officer from Oregon County, which is where I live in Alabama. But I grew up. I used to be a softball manager on a high school softball team. And he, because my cousin was the you know, long story, cousin was a coach. And so he was the friend, my friend of the cousin, and they were a lot older, but I was like in high school. We used to always hang out and, you know, we'd do softball practice. But apparently he looks just like The Rock. He got mentioned on the Today Show and The Rock shouted him out on Twitter and stuff. So that's pretty cool. That was today. So, uh, you that know, that is
1: stuff. so strange. Can you, I, that, that would be a good gig, just a gig where, you look exactly like the rock
0: yeah and he, that, that, he there's
1: no downside to that
0: yeah and he pumps iron man he's like he's built like the rock too he's uh it's it's pretty cool and he plays it up a little bit but he's like you know he's pretty modesty he guy he's like i just like being myself you know but it's pretty cool that that happened but uh you know speaking of things we thought we talked about things that are that are weird and strange uh so, something else weird and strange we see uh you know, these people ended up playing a game with one less player at the table as you get the scene. Now, how did you think that, what did you think about the way this was shot? Uh, I thought it was pretty masterful the way they shot this. What did you think the, the whole, you don't see the monster, then you get the reverse image and you maybe see like a little bit of it.
1: It's so creepy. It, it w- and yeah. when, when, the, because, because it, t- it, it, and it's the mystery of the episode is what's happening and why Mm-hmm. because people are seeing someone that it appears that they recognize and that they're happy to see but we know it's really a monster so when we're seeing it from the victim's pov they're seeing an actor in this case a an older man playing a rabbi mm-hmm. and but they I'll, but I'll say one thing right now these characters never speak at least yes for the majority of the episode
0: and that
1: yeah so so you see a character from the from the you know the 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 victim's point of view and they're like oh rabbi shulman and then you go back over the shoulder and you see this big sort of hairy shadowy creature and you can hear it sort of grunting and growling moving toward and 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 then when you go around it's like a like a wide angle lens, so the yeah. the person looks a little distorted, a little strange, and then they get really, really close, and then you you know the the, the screen wipes to black and you just hear screaming. So it's pretty effective, and, and it's and it's one of the few episodes where it takes a while to understand the mythology of the character. It's sort of a complicated mythology, it's not just a werewolf or just a vampire. You're like, what is this thing? And, and you're Easily halfway into the episode before it finally gets explained.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're you're 100% right on that because it was so, I mean, some of the episodes, like it's pretty much like it's spelled out at the beginning, you know, that you just pretty much know the whole, the whole deal. This one, you know, you really had to think about and then we'll, we'll get to the point wherever he talks to the guy in the, uh, the curator. But uh, of course, we're here. Coming up after commercial break, we see Col shack rolling in. We see that the stock footage of Col shack driving downtown Chicago with a different hat. You know, you can clearly see this is not the coal shack we're seeing rolling in. Hey, TV limitations. Rich, if anybody knows about that, you know the limitations of that. I, I'm sorry, I keep bringing up asides. But as another aside, man, from this last episode, I know I don't know. I don't think you wrote the last episode that just aired. Was it five? The Red Hood episode, the, the origin story?
1: Oh, no. That was a Brian Edward Hill, uh, a friend of mine on the show, who's really great.
0: So uh, let me tell you something, man. Uh, and, of course, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make this Titans talk. This is going to be split second. Split second, guys. We had a whole Titans episode. Go listen to that. Uh, whenever he does like the the whole Red Hood gearing up with him and Scarecrow and he drops the needle on some Iron Butterfly in a God of Davida. Chef's kiss. man. Oh, yes. Oh, I love.
1: Iron <laughs> 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 oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed
0: that. Oh, man. I I, I I even tweeted about it. I was like, man, this is probably the best use of Iron Butterfly in, in you know, in a God of Davida in anything ever. And that's even including the uh, whichever nightmare on Freddy's dead, whichever nightmare on Elm Street it was with Johnny Depp in it. Uh, perfect, perfect use of that. But so we see Kolchak rolling up. <laughs> the officer says that, "Oh, he died of boredom and old age." And Kolchak p- pulls back. Yeah, that's 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 boredom and old a- age, all right. K- Kolchak seems nonchalant in this episode. It's like he's just sort of taking notes, you know. Just, he's like,
1: "What's the- nice about it?" I I, I I agree. There's there's a different sort of attitude that I really like. This police officer that he's talking to. I, I, is the character's name? It's like Officer York or something like that, I think. Yeah. Um, it's a, so. first of all, it's a young guy. It's a guy younger than Coleshack. It's not a character actor. And it's not like a police captain. Often in Coleshack episodes, there's a, you know, a character actor, an older guy who's a police captain who doesn't like Coleshack and telling and, you and is screaming at Coleshack, get out of here with your camera. And, and it's it's very sort of, Pitched high, yeah. this is pitched very low. This is like, in a lot of ways, a like a quieter episode, and it's very effective be- because it makes it feel a little bit more real. This young cop is just very quiet, just doing his job, and and is clearly not indulging Kolchak, but it, the, the, it's it's not a sizzling fight, and therefore Kolchak's level is also very low and and you get the feeling this is more like what his interactions probably are on a daily basis Somebody saying something you know cynical he says something cynical back you know yes looks at a mutilated body and says oh yes old age and boredom you know and i love when he says when when the when the cop tries to stop him and he says, son, I've seen more dead bodies than you've had TV yes. dinners. Y'all. It's so good. It's just so good. It's just, it's it, it's a nice feel for the episode. And I'll, and I'll talk about a couple other scenes that kind of hit this, this tone. But yeah, I think that guy who played the cop does a great job.
0: You know, and we, we, you actually joined us for the Spanish Moss murders episode where we talked about uh, him meeting the old, the older people there. And one of them recognized him funny enough.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. So you got Ned glass. In hmm. in the Spanish Moss Murders, he plays a character titled Apartment Superintendent. And then in this episode, his name is Joe, but he's clearly the same guy. It's the same actor, same guy, two weeks later. And he even looks at Colchak and says, Hey, didn't don't I know you? Haven't you been down? And he's like, and Colchak's no, 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 that's uh, that was my brother Marshall from the, the health department or something. He gives some and they move right past it. But it's one of the few times. If there's any consistency or world building, if you will, in, in the Shack universe where where it's like, oh, there, there actually is a consistent world out there where people exist that he can see more than once.
2: Hey, you a reporter? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Then how about reporting, for instance, how come the
1: health department don't get their cans down here and clear out the rats? It's not only here. You see my apartment building around the back. Health? You work for the health
2: department? Me? yeah no no that was my brother no he was in charge of printing up quarantine signs. that was a long time ago
0: yeah and i don't know if you know wrestling terms but in 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 wrestling terms if something good happens and you get a good audience pop you know if you pop for something you know you you get a good cheer for it i popped hard for that whenever i saw it man i (laughs) really loved seeing that i was like oh you know and i remember you talking about it but i forgot which episode you mentioned it was in and then i saw it here and i was like oh man that's That's perfect. So he talks to them. You know, we've all got rats. You should see the one I work for. Kolshak gives that line, of course, talking about tony they he talks to the old man they're going back and forth he and he and they're sort of giving him some stuff and he's like you know maybe we can throw wet biscuits at him or something like that and Carl check's just trying to get the info he's looking for and and moving on here and he goes back and he talks to tony and he's like you know here's this i need you to write that write this off i I gave a couple bucks to one of the older men and tony sort of reluctantly signs off on it and and this is one of the where tony and carl's carl's uh just interactions are, are gold on this. Um,
1: I totally agree. This is this episode in a way, I think it's my favorite episode in terms of their interaction. Because again, it's dialed way down. It, it feels very realistic. It's just, it's just business. They're just sort of discussing the story. Uh, you know, no one is screaming. No one is slamming the desk. Kolchak seems really tired, but it doesn't reduce the energy of the scene at all. And Vincenzo feels like, again, they're both. A lot of it just feels like late night at the office, you know. Yes. And everyone's just trying to get their last thing finished up. But I love what it reveals about Kolchak's character—that this this guy who is presented to us as extremely cynical and doesn't trust anyone has given a few dollars to an old guy because he feels sorry for him and, and asks Vincenzo. Yeah, exactly. Can you, can you expense this basically? And, and then Vincenzo does, there's not like some big, you know, Oh, you know, you're being irresponsible Kolshak, you know, well, wait till the publisher hears about this. It's just, okay. He just does it. We move on. Yeah.
0: And, and that's one thing about Kolshak is like, it always seems, and I think we talked. We, I actually talked with one of our uh, our filling hosts. So one one of our fill-in hosts is uh, Jeff Coburn. He uh, he filled in last time, and he talked about Colshack and the little guy, and talked about that. And that's one thing we talked about with Mark and and different people is like Colsack is all about the little guy. He he's for the little man, and he he does whatever he can to sort of help him. And and he's the guy who covers the stories that's not going to get covered, you know, like that would be r- brushed under the, the rug by the police captain or, you know, anybody in the authority here. And he's the guy who's going to cover it.
1: And uh, he even tries to, yeah.
0: you know, Tony to push some stuff over the wire. And Cody's like, I can't push this stuff over the wire. But Kolshak pushes for him, man.
1: Yeah. This this episode just, it, it reveals a different tone to their interaction that, that reminds you, oh yeah, these guys, they, they work together every day, not every single interaction they have is, is a pitched battle. Sometimes it's just, what'd you do today? Okay. Let me see this. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll write that off. Okay. And just change this and this, take out the bleeding heart stuff and, and it's fine. Just go ahead and do it. And, you know, and it's like, and, and even says, Hey, well, Carl, you know, it's like, look, if there's a story here, we'll follow it, like go follow it up. You know, I'm not, I'm not telling you no. It, it, you know, I'm I'm here for you. And Coltrane's like, all right, you know, he's he's a little bit really. And Vincenzo's like, yeah, sure. I, I mean, it, it's really great. It, it it makes me wish we could see more of those days and more of those yeah. interactions that yeah. that have a different tone. And, and and there's another scene coming up, which I think is even. I think like,
0: we talked about.
1: Yeah, you know what I'm going to talk. Okay, I'm we'll talk we'll, about we'll talk about it when we get there.
0: But yeah, hundred percent, man, because. Tony sort of sighs and he reluctantly writes it off and Carl looks at it and he says, "Uh, you're Richard, the linehearted Patrick Henry and St. Teresa stuffed all into one big pinstripe suit. And he says that he's walking out the door and Tony seeming to be very under, under pressure, stressed. He says, get me a sandwich with fresh pickles this time and a cream soda. And that's his like, take the edge off his, his, his little. is, is that.
1: Yeah. He's, he's calling downstairs. I mean, and again, it's just, there's something wonderful about that set and uh, as a viewer being in that environment at night television shows are not shot this way anymore i mean i mean the amount of shadow and you know all the light is being provided by visible sources just desk lamps and overheads and and not much at that and and again the tone it's like ooh we're we're getting sort of late night after hours people are finishing up like literally it could be It could be eight o'clock at night or it could be two in the morning. I have no idea.
0: And I think most people have been there. Like, you know, we've all had to work the job, the night shift that we didn't want to work. And, and, you know, you see the darkness outside and you're closing up shop for the night and you're like, I just need to get out here. And the only light you see is inside. And you get that, that sense right there that, Hey, you know, there's no visible light outside. It's time to, they should be in bed by now. Cole should be, you know, off the, off the beaten trail here. He should be sleeping. Uh, but everybody's still there. That's the funny thing, you know. And Miss Emily gets a cold shack to read through some of her advice columns. This is, this is one of the the comedy parts that I really loved. And it seems as though, from what I interpreted, one of those is a like 73-year-old man who has so many women that he uh, has not enough, uh, how you say, we'll, we'll say drive. He, he doesn't have the... Uh, stamina that he
1: well needs. you know he's 73 so you know i, I you know I, I can see it coming one day decades away but it could happen
0: it could yeah happen. yeah for people like rich though you know maybe when you're 95 or so rich you may experience that but right now rich is just uh yeah we'll move on we'll move on he's a steamrolling machine though if we had to
1: when i'm 95 i will have been dead for a long time <laughs>
0: <laughs> no you might be like keith richards which you know that's something else charlie watts passed away he you know that's like one of the first rolling stone oh, ron jones man so uh, Rolling stone's a great band so i don't know why i brought that up right here to bring bring us down here but uh yeah yeah <laughs> so she tells Colshack about her real dream writing a detective novel and seeing miss if there's a spinoff show miss emily writing crime novels i'm here for that
1: it's murder she wrote it's it's basically the show that became yeah. the angela lansbury show
0: yeah. So, what? What? When did Ruth McDevitt die? Uh, we're doing some math here, we're doing some googling.
1: Yeah, Google that. Google that up. Uh, she died in seventy six. Oh, she didn't last long after the show. Wow. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah, just a year or two after the show ended. Yeah, May twenty seventh,
0: nineteen seventy six. She died in Los Angeles. She was eighty, though. She was eighty. Okay, I can see that.
1: Well, what did she die? Was she uh, shot with a uh, crossbow?
0: No. Surprisingly, she surprisingly oh, she died. I don't say why she died. It just said uh, it's interred in the Westwood Village Memorial Parkway. How far are you from the the Westwood Village?
1: I'm across town from that. Um, At at this hour, well, it's right now in Los Angeles, it's eight twenty. But if I waited another couple of hours, I could drive to Westwood in about a half an hour.
0: You need to stop by and and see Ruth McDevitt and just uh, give us a, uh, I don't know what you do there.
1: There's a lot, there's a lot of graves that I should be visiting. There's another place that I, that that when I was rewatching the show tonight and I'll talk about it in a minute, but I'm like, I should have gone down there and taken pictures, but um, I'll talk about it in a second. There's a great, okay. So miss Emily talks about how she's, she's sort of, she got the job at the INS and she's answering questions and doing her advice column, but really it's just to sort of help jumpstart what she really wants to do, which is to write a a detective novel. So she shows some of the pages to Kolshak and she's talking about how, you know, she, she works on it in her free time and, you know, the paper is free and and there's this great reaction i don't know if you noticed but but you see you know uh Kolshak sort of o- opens it up to the middle and and reads a few sentences yeah. and then and kind of squints and then rolls his eyes and like it's clearly like oh this is terrible and <laughs> then oh. and then he, and then he closes nice. it up and he's like he's like and and he's hearing her say well here i get you know the typewriters and the paper for free and he's like well that's a very good attitude for a writer to have And he says, good luck to you, Miss Emily. And he kisses her on the forehead and he walks out. And it's a very sweet moment, but it's so, I mean, McGavin is so funny. He can sell those moments so beautifully.
0: He has so much charm to him. I was watching. So sometimes stuff will get posted. I'm in these call check groups on Facebook and, and like most of the people who are older, you know, and this is not a disparagement on them, but they're more on Facebook than they're on Twitter, you know, cause Twitter is sort of hard oh, yeah. to navigate sometimes, you know, but they'll post stuff in these Kolschak groups. And one of them posted, it was Carol Burnett before she had the Carol Burnett show. And it was Darren McGavin uh, when he was doing plays on Broadway, when he lived in New York, sort of writing and directing stuff out there when they were on password and, and just his charisma and his charm, Oh, man. It was something. It, I, I sat there and I'm like, I'm going to watch a few minutes of this. And before I knew it, I had watched that whole episode of Password with Darren McGavin in it because he is just, man, he's so infectious. Like, Darren McGavin does something, you are know, like, man, this is perfect. I wish this man was still alive because I he's know.
1: Amazing. I could I could I really I want to check that out. I should check out those Facebook groups just to see cuz I'm sure they post stuff that I've never seen but um yeah like like that password for instance but uh yeah I would love to see that. He he really is he's the greatest.
0: Would you have to wade your wade your way through the there's so many posts of this t-shirt. Oh, if you want this t-shirt, post I want in the comments. And all these people, I sort of feel bad for them are posting, I want in the comments. And then the admins have to take it down. And I'm like, you know, it's one oh of those God. unlicensed shirts. But you know how you know the gig with Facebook and all social media. It's all a construct to get you to do everything. But you know, hey, we're not talking about that. We're on to Cole Shack. We go on to we see the this couple leaving the movies, and the the fever is the movie playing. And I looked it up, and there is no movie called the Fever, but there apparently was one in two thousand four, which is a psychological film produced by HBO Films.
1: So I don't know. Well, well, let me tell you a little bit about where this was shot because this Ooh. is downtown Los Angeles.
0: Tell me about it. I love this stuff.
1: So the Regent Theater is an actual theater that still exists in downtown LA. Um, and I can even give you the address. The Regent Theater is on South Main Street, 448 South Main Street, Los Angeles. If you go to Google Maps, you can actually see it, and the, the marquee is still there, and the lettering that says Regent is exactly the same. And when you're looking at it, when the Goldsteins come out of the theater uh, to the to screen right, is a vertical the red neon letters it's a building that's across yeah. the street and down about a block and that's the Hotel Roslyn and that still exists and then as we follow the Goldsteins as they're talking about this movie and again this little exchange between these two people is a little gem you get their entire probably 50 year relationship in In the space of half a block and a page of dialogue, you get their marriage, you get their sex life, you get a a warm moment between them, but then you also get a bit of a conflict. I mean, it's just really beautifully done. But as they come down that street, you can see them turning. They sort of make a right hand turn down and you can see the sign that says Winston. And Winston Street is right there right on the corner by the Regent Theater, and it cuts down, and then there's an alley that runs behind the theater called Worden Place, W-E-R-D-I-N, Worden Place. And I'm pretty sure this was filmed on location. I think this was not the universal backlot. I think they actually were in downtown LA, and as long as they had the block, they used that whole area. So they start out on Main Street, and then go down Winston Street, and then go on to Worden Place, and that's where this couple meets the Rockshasa.
0: Dude, that is, this is the reason we have Rich Adam on the on the show. Cause he, he, I'm sitting here following this on Google maps guys. And I would recommend going on Google maps, man. Just looking at this because you know, from
1: where I live right now, I could probably drive that. I could probably be in front of the region theater in about nine minutes.
0: Okay. So, so I'll
1: just, I'll just get on my phone and we'll continue talking and then I'll get there and I'll start taking pictures of myself standing in front of it.
0: So, dude, that would be, that'd be, we, we do need to do something like that one day. Uh, do you hear, do you talk about with people in LA about like stories that they've experienced? Is there like, because you know you had the whole thing about the the Cecil Hotel and stuff. Is that in Los Angeles, right? Oh
1: yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Which that was sort of oh, borderline. There are so
1: many, so many haunted stories, uh, or stories of haunted places in Los Angeles. I mean, just uh, thousands of them. So yeah, yeah there's they're, they're out there for sure. You could probably I could dig something up. Yeah, for yeah, sure.
0: Because you know that was one thing that I listened to was like people seeing like Richard Ramirez too. Like uh, I don't know if you did you watch the Richard Ramirez Netflix stuff, the documentary.
1: Uh, no, I did not.
0: They, I think, I don't know if it was that, but I watched something maybe adjacent to that where they talked about people would see him like uh, uh, after long after he was dead, you know.
1: Really? Oh, Jesus Christ, that is really creepy. In fact, the thing I resented about Richard Ramirez was that they called him the Night Stalker. Like, Dude, that really? 100%, me 100% pisses me off.
0: Hundred percent pisses me off because you can't find a damn thing about Colshet because this son of a bitch is sitting here taking all the Google links. So I got to put in Colshet like man yeah.
1: Richard, yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah son of a, that's and there's probably more words i could use to describe that that piece of, but uh, you know moving on to from richard ramirez you know you talked about the older couple and they have such, such a lot you, you were 100 right i had that lively discussion you didn't keep your keep the lights on and she, she's just given her her list of uh you know things you know you barely even took your clothes off ran to the bathroom put on your pajamas why were we like that and you just this gem of riding that just in a matter of a, maybe even less than two minutes, you know, not a whole lot yeah. time.
2: I didn't understand it. Why? The movie. What's to understand movies nowadays. They take their clothes off. That's all that matters. Jeanette McDonald, Nelson Eddie. They never took their clothes off. <laughs> Neither did we really. They never left the lights on either. <laughs> now that I come to think of it, what would it have hurt? Come on, Miriam. Well, what would it have hurt? All that running in and out of the bathroom, putting on our pajamas, all that ceremony. Oh, Saul. What were we so ashamed of? Come, Come on, Miriam.
0: <laughs> and uh, so they split up and she's like, I'm going to go down the alleyway. Or he's like, I'm going to go down the alleyway, take a shortcut. Like, I'm not going to go down the alleyway. We know what happened. She has something in mind. There's a swastikas and he's like, oh, it's teenagers. They're doing all that stuff. And eventually, of course, of course you know how this works. The the wife she don't want to be alone. She runs and chases after him. They see the police. Wasn't the, the police officer that they saw? Uh, the total- yeah.
1: Well, what's interesting is that you know, there are characters in Coleshack episodes that get killed who are guest stars. In the Spanish Moss murders, you know, we get to know Pepe LaRue, whose name is really Murray, and he's from New York. And We get to know him, but he's like an actual character in the drama who gives us information, and then he dies. Yeah, you know, there's a character, I mean, Phil Silvers, you know, meets a grizzly end in this episode, a uh, spoiler alert. But oh, yeah. rarely do we get to know characters who don't play any other role in the show other than victim. And that's what makes this particular vignette really emotionally sort of captivating because, because we don't we almost expect it to be a wordless scene. We're just going to see yeah. two people walk out of a theater. We're not going to hear what they're saying. We're going to hear Kolshak talking over them. We're going to see them walk into an alley and then suddenly we're going to see them Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, attacked. And and we don't. And in that one minute, we care about these people. And when, and when she's like, I don't want to go down the alley, you know, that's where, you know, uh, that that old, you know, that, that that woman who we know got killed. And he's like, Miriam, don't worry, it's nothing there, you know, and then he's like, all right, then you I'm taking the alley and the hot cocoa will be on the stove when you get home. Yeah. you can go any way you want, and then, and then she's like, well, "I don't, I don't want to be alone." So she goes with him, and then they go into the alley. And of course, you really are afraid for them, and it really is tragic. You know, you do feel something when they die.
0: Yeah. So, women, if that is a sign anywhere, do not trust men at all. When men will leave you, lead you astray.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the the guy will always go the dangerous way and get you both yeah. killed.
0: Just ask my wife.
1: <laughs> but again, it's like it's like if you're if you're watching the episode for the first time. You've seen a guy think that he sees his rabbi, but no one knows that. The audience, we're the only ones who know this, okay? Then again, with this, we're the only ones who witness what they see before they die. No one's around to to remark on it yeah. as, they, as they go, oh, thank God, it's just a police officer. And they walk up. Hello, officer. You know, we're safe, clearly. And the closer they get. And, of course, we use the same technique going over the shoulder of the monster, but then reversing to show, oh, no, what they're seeing is just a a friendly police officer until they get too close. And then it's over.
0: And I think, you know, going back to that, I know we've talked about it, but that is so well done because you only so we do get that one quick quick shot of him at the beginning we get the shot of the monster the actual full body monster at the beginning but then the rest is pretty much over the shoulder for the most part and then we see the their perspective but i think that is perfectly shot because you see the danger at the beginning you see what he is for a split second but then the rest of the time it's either over the shoulder it's their perspective of him as a incarnate of somebody they know and they trust they build the fear there that cause we know, we know what, what it is, but then for the rest of the time, we, you know, we only get the shots of the, Hey, and I think that's one of the things that, could, you know, maybe the Spanish moss Mur- murders, which was a near perfect episode in my opinion could have taken from is just show a tad bit less of the monster because this show, right. this show just enough of the monster that I think was just perfect because, and we'll get to it later. We'll talk about that. But but the, even the ending,
1: well, there there are people who complain that the monster is very short. Uh, that that's been a complaint I've heard a lot for, about this particular episode. That it's like, well, for for a you know, for for a beast or some weird, you know, big giant hairy demon, it, it's it's kind of a short monster. But in in reflecting on the actual production, I get the feeling that they did that so that the eye lines would would not be confusing yeah. so that so that as you so that it looks like the the monster isn't that much bigger than the person that it is impersonating yeah so that the victim is looking eye to eye with who they think they're seeing but when we're over the shoulder we're not suddenly way up high looking at a person looking at the monster's chest yeah, yeah. so i think at a certain point someone said i think we need to, to keep these things sort of within the frame, so that it, so that as they walk toward each other, we get it and and we're not confused by eye lines. That's my guess. I have n- nothing to back this up, but that's my guess as to what the conversation was behind the scenes when they produced this episode.
0: Hey, Rich, you're you're a television writer. <laughs> I, I, I will say <laughs> that to you, and I 100 percent would agree with that because, I mean, if you think about like cryptids and stuff, just talking about like. I'm going to say real-world applications, which if, if a cryptid is real-world application, maybe that's up for interpretation by some people. Because I somebody on Facebook ended up commenting, and they said, you know, I'm, I don't know if I enjoyed your – or they didn't say it initially. They're like, you know, your your interview with Forrest Burgess was, let's say, interesting. And I find it so fascinating that people who watch Cole Shack, who don't believe in cryptids and stuff, but you watch Cole Shack, and I'm like, that is that is – That's an interesting take, man. Like these people I'm fascinated by. Yeah, that's
1: cool. There's, there's a lot of people I I work with a lot of people who are, who write for solely for genre shows, vampire shows, you know, alien shows who, who are absolute skeptics and, and atheists. And they're just like, no, there's absolutely no such thing as any sort of paranormal phenomenon. There are no psychics. There are no precognitive dreams. There's no Bigfoot. There are no ghosts. There is no life after death. They are, I mean, I mean, their worldview is purely materialist, and yet they, and yet they write. and 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 for a second, it's confusing. But then it's like, well, I, look, we don't know about any of that. It's not like I believe in vampires, but I have no problem writing about them. So yeah.
0: you understand the myth. It's like you understand the mythos. It's like writing about. <laughs> You know, like writing about Nightwing or something, writing about a, a 20, 30 something year old superhero. You don't know what it's like to be a 20 or 30 something year old superhero, but hell, you can write about it because you understand the concept. And it's, the I mean, it applies. And people don't think about it that way, but it applies to vampires. It applies to Bigfoot. It applies to any yeah. of the cryptos. Mothman,
1: you know, it's, yes, it's called the imagination.
0: Yeah, the, <laughs> the sponge-
1: magical world of imagination.
0: Yeah, it always reminds me, of course, of my generation, I'm like, imagination, the Spongebob episode. I don't know if you ever seen Spongebob. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Not as long as we have our imagination.
0: We see Kolschak. We, we see him and Mr. St- uh, Starman here, and they're having this conversation. And, and of course, he's he's like, oh, you know, I know this, this guy did this, this restaurant. He's a Nazi oh, sympathizer, right. and he's an... Indian, he owns an Indian restaurant. Kulshak is sort of like an Indian who, an Indian Nazi. That's what you believe. Um, So uh, yeah,
1: you don't find Hindu Nazis in any great number. Yes. uh, uh, Which I always thought was a hilarious line. And I remember, you know, when I saw this episode for the first time, uh, again, we're talking 1979. Yeah. I I didn't know I'd never had Indian food. I, I had no real knowledge of Indian, East Indian culture at all. and. I remember being fascinated. And again, Kolschak goes into this restaurant a little later, but he goes when he goes in to eat, there's no one in the restaurant. And it looks uh. like the place is closed. It's so dark. I love it. I wish restaurants were like that. Uh, restaurants can't be dark enough for my pleasure.
0: <laughs> hey, you know, Rich, dude like I may be in Los Angeles, like the, the Indian restaurants are bumping, but one of my favorite, So I love Indian food and me and my wife, actually, oh, yeah. we ate Indian food. Maybe, t- t- uh, maybe last week, middle last week, we, we have a one about 30 minutes, 40 minutes away. So we don't get to go to it as often as we want to, but we went and here's the thing. Like we, I placed it to go water. Usually I'm like, I want the shrimp curry. And they said, how how spicy do you want it? I said, as spicy as you can make it. I don't know if you know Indian spicy is like a different level of spicy. And when I eat yes. in, when I eat Indian food, I don't think of it like eating food. I think of this as like a battle, like it's an experience, man. Because and I'll get the I'll get the shrimp curry and I'll get the mango lassie, which is like a mango yogurt drink. And I'll oh, yeah. eat, and I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here like I'm breathing. <sighs> Like I'm, and she's like, "Why do you get it so hot to labor over?" And I'm like, "Because it's about. This is not a food thing. This is not about taste. This is about the experience. You have to experience Indian food the way they intend you to experience Indian food, and it is the strongest so thing ever."
1: That you're you're just like my friend Herb Patterson. Uh, There's a guy I went to high school with and was friends with through college, and he had gone. He went to he did like a year abroad at St Andrews University in Scotland. Yeah. And and he's like, when you go to Scotland, like they're like in L.A., you can find tacos anywhere. You know, that's sort of like the go to ethnic food is Mexican food because we're very close to Mexico. But yeah. for and 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 we have a large population of people from Mexico and South America. So that that food is very, very gettable in St. Andrews in Scotland. Indian food is the go to Oh, ethnic really? cuisine, yeah, and I think it's the same thing in England too. There's just there's curry shops and and uh, you you can just get Indian food anywhere. And he always said in Scotland, the Indian food is much more authentic and it's much hotter. Not like this stuff they have in L.A. It's it's much. So I got used to the very you know the hottest of all. And he and I used to go to Indian restaurants and I, you know, learned about Indian cuisine and just love, I still love it. But I remember this one night we went to this restaurant and he just gotten back and we ordered our food. He ordered lamb vindaloo. Ooh. And, and they said, you know, what, what level? And he's like, I want it really hot, but I want it the way you guys eat it. Okay. Yeah, don't, don't make it. I know right. I look like I walked in off the street, but make it the way you, and, and you can just see the waiter sort of like squinting and smiling, like. Oh really, sir? (laughs) And he's like, he's like, yeah, and he's like, very well, sir. (laughs) And then he leaves, and we look back. I'm telling you, you can see into the kitchen. There's a hole in the floor. They, they they, literally, they're going down to the tandoor ovens, which are underneath. They're underground, and they open up this thing with these red stairs and this light shining up, and it literally looks like he's going into hell to get Herb's food. So he goes down. Yeah. He gets, you know, 15 minutes goes by. We we, we get our food. He's, the, the, the waiter sets it out. And here's your lamb vindaloo, sir. And, and Herb says, thank you very much. And and Herb, Herb takes a bite of it. And I'm looking at him, and, and I, I'm not noticing any reaction. He's like, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's that's good, that's good." Then he takes another bite and another bite, and I look at him, and he's not like grimacing or spitting it out or anything, but I'm looking at him, and and suddenly I just see sweat pouring down his face, and I'm like, "Okay, this is crazy. I, I, I got to know what this is." So I reach over and I, I take a small amount and I put it in my mouth, and it literally tastes like a firecracker has exploded. There's yeah. like there's like a, there's like a, a physical. Impact in my mouth. I'm like, Herb. You cannot eat this. Do not eat this anymore. You have to stop. And he's like, No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And sweat is pouring down his face. I look over. The waiter is like, was like pushing his face through these palm leaves of a potted plant across the restaurant, looking at him. And I and, and then and then the waiter comes by the table and says, So, how is your lamb vindaloo, sir? And Herb looks up, and his face is beet red, and he's sweating bullets. And he's like, it's very good. And you can just see the guy grinding his teeth, you know. I literally expected him to say something like, you're a very arrogant man, Mr. Bond. (laughs) Dude. He was like, I swear to you, Herb finished that plate of lamb vindaloo. I've never seen anything like it in my life.
0: Hey, when I come to LA, which who the hell knows when that will be me and Herb are getting together. We're going to, cause that's the same. I say, Hey, give me, I tell them, give me this, give me Indian spicy. And they say, are you sure? And my, my, my eyes are pouring sweat. I'm poor. I'm like, my eyes are just, I'm just crying. I'm, I'm having sweat come from pores. I didn't know I had. It's, well, and
1: you have to be really careful. Cause like, if it touches your, your fingers oh, or, boy, or you, you w- like you wipe your eye or something, it, I mean, it's it, it's like you're getting maced. It, it can be yeah. really, really tough,
0: dude. It, it's nuts. Yeah, Indian food, um, which that was a long diatribe. But thank Herb. Tell Herb send Herb my best because me and Herb, <laughs> he's my spirit animal out there in L.A. But yeah, yeah, definitely, I'm the same wavelength. If give me an Indian hot, and it's it's not a food experience, it's a battle. It's a and when you come out the other side, and you drink, you finish, and you finish that mango icy at the end to give you a little coolant. Uh And it's just something else. It's another experience.
1: <laughs> well, I tell you, so, uh, and I'm not, is it, is the net, is the next scene where he does go into the restaurant? No,
0: this is the one where they go around back first.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Let's talk about that. And then, and then and then we'll get back into the, uh, into our Indian food discussion. But <laughs> well, yeah, Phil Silvers brings him around back. He's like, I want to show you these swastikas, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Phil Silvers. Let me show you these swastikas. Let me show you around back. They do all that. And he and Carl, man, Darren McGavin, what a, a agile, you know, person here. He, he just leaping around, leaping over, putting boxes together part, man, he, he looks like the, the damage, you know, he's on the team USA, you know, in the U S and the Olympics or something. I, I think
1: Darren mcavin is younger in the night stalker than I am now. I think he was in his early fifties. I'm, I'm almost 55. I'm very impressed with how agile he is. And and there's various episodes, I think in uh the vampire he sort of hoists himself up onto a balcony or something yes, off of some he's, patio it's like wow yes. this guy like you can kind of get fucked up pretty easily doing anything on screen but he clearly does a lot of stuff and does it well
0: and it seems like and i'm 100% don't I'm, I, from everything i've gathered he there wasn't a stunt double not i don't know i don't know but from ev- i've never seen hey stunt double this is a stunt double in imdb listed
1: It seems like I haven't seen it either. I think he did everything.
0: Darren does his own stuff because in the vampire, he's hanging off a a damn, like the, the barbs, the guards on the window, he's hanging off sort of doing this thing. I'm like, and you can see his face. Like there's no CGI here. This is, this is Darren McGavin doing this, doing this crap, you know, I
1: know it's so great.
0: And Darren McGavin just leaping over boxes. He goes on the other side. And I think this is like the part of the episode where you like, it sets in like, Hey, I know things before weren't right, but you see like Darren McGavin on the other side, sort of digging for clues. And he hears Phil Silver's character, Mr. Uh, Starman on the other side saying, Oh, you know, you're you're coming, you know, Hey, I thought you're just over there. And Carl hears it. And he's sort of like, what? And he attacks him and,
1: Carl. Well, that. you can see it. I mean, it's it's the it's the clearest sort of depiction of the concept because you can see coal yeah. in this fenced off area behind the restaurant, and then on the other side of the fence in the alley. Again, it's that sort of it's the same thing as like in the Spanish Moss murders. There's a lot yeah. of like fences and alleys and closed off areas, but you can see that that Phil Silver's character Harry Starman is looking down the street at Kolshak walking toward him. yeah, And then, and he's like, Mr. Kolshak. And then you hear Kolshak's voice on the other side of the fence going, I'm over here. And Phil Silver's can't see him there, but sees him there and is very confused. And before he can sort out the confusion, I guess the Kolshak creature gets too close and he's killed. And by the time Kolshak gets back over the fence, which takes no time at all, as we've said, Starman has been completely devoured as if by, you know, a thousand starving rats.
0: Yeah. And the, and the Indian owner sees, I guess he sees that and he says, "Rockshasa," And he goes back in inside and Kolchak sort of is looking around. Like, what did he, what did he say? And that becomes a, a focal point of the episode is what was the words that were said there that he knew that Kolshak didn't.
1: Yeah, it was, it's a little weird. That's a weird moment because it, and then there's there's about a handful of, of puzzling moments in the narrative. I, I guess they felt like they needed to introduce that character and they needed to introduce the term Rakshasa. But it begs the question: what was the that guy seeing? Was he seeing the actual monster? But we don't know. And we'll get into that character later. But but when you think about the episode retrospectively after seeing it suddenly questions come up, but let's continue with the uh, forward motion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm of the mind that I've, I think that, Hey, this actually, it reminds me a lot of Oliver stones, the doors movie where you sort of see like the Indians who see certain things and like Jim Morrison who sees the Indians, but nobody else sees the Indians. I don't know, which maybe that's just my experience with the doors and being doors fan anyway. And <laughs> hell, I don't know. Uh But yeah, let's, Let's move forward here. So the, the and of course Kolchak sitting here like, well, what the hell? Let me just take some pictures while I'm here. And he's taking pictures, and the cops, of course, show up. And I think this next scene is the scene you're talking about earlier with with the dynamic between Kolchak and Tony.
1: Oh, when they bring him in. So yeah. we after the commercial, Kolchak is in the office of two older police detectives who look like they've been grilling him. Uh, For, you know, hours, it seems like about what he was doing two feet away from a dead body.
0: Yes. Yes. Because Kolshak's just sitting here taking pictures and they come up and he says, oh, thank you know, good, good thing y'all arrived. He's like, yeah, yeah. Good thing y'all. Yeah. Good thing we were here. And they take him downtown for some questioning and probably my comedy. So I have a comedy gold segment of the week. And here is my comedy gold segment of the week is when they're talking to Kolshak and they, and they, the cops, you know, they give him the business and they're talking about him. And he says, I'm going, he goes over his story for the fifth time. And he says, "Uh, maybe you should have your marbles examined. And he does an impression of the screaming. So here's the, the one. He does the impression of screaming. We get a shot of, of uh, Tony outside. And he's like, this, that the flight or fight instinct kicks in. He runs in. Hey, what's going on in here? What's, you know, and he goes after him here.
1: It, it's beautiful because, well, it's, it's funny because there's no way Kolshak knows that Vincenzo's right outside the door, no. but uh, it, 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 we'll, we'll accept that. So, so he, he sort of. Imitates Harry Starman's yell, and Kolchak's probably just trying to yell just so that anyone will come in and you know interrupt this yeah. either possibly dangerous or probably dull interrogation he's experiencing. So he says, "Well, then I, uh, you know, I heard Harry yell, ah!" And he screams really <laughs> loud. Vincenzo hears it in the hallway, comes in, and he's like, "What's going on in here?" And it's this great scene. It's the one yeah. th- that you notice and that I notice where where, where he, he gets colshack released and then he sticks around and he's like, all right, who are you two guys? And it's like, whoa. Okay. So this is the like editor of the international news service who covers a lot of news stories and obviously a ton of crime yeah. stories. I'm sure, you know, police issues in, in, in the local papers and the international papers and national papers, but suddenly he's, he's like really got colshack's back yeah it's like i want to know your name i want to know your name and basically the subject is you don't fuck with my reporters 100 i may have a problem with Kohl's Shack. i'm allowed to have a problem with Kohl's Shack. but you guys i one of you has a shitty reputation and the other one i don't know yet but i'm gonna give me your names yeah. and i'm like and again you don't it's like it's the kind of thing I didn't even notice the first couple times I saw it. It's just oh, yeah. like, oh, okay, Vincenzo's pissed off, whatever. And then it's like, wait a second, this this is him really defending one of his reporters and Kolschak in particular, and that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, and he doubled out. He doubles down on it. He's like, you no, know, what's you know, you're new. What's your name? He's like, oh, yeah, no, you're new. What's your name? I'm gonna write it down. Yeah, he's an yeah, 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 I love it. Oh man, Tony here is and that the the dichotomy of this, but combined with the next scene. I mean, of course, looking at it, uh, it's sort of like just hilarious how Kolchak and we'll get into it. Kolchak goes and he's he's following leads and he's talking about doing all this, and he goes to the exterminator who apparently sprayed the offices, and he asks Carl if he still is leaving half eaten donuts uh, and bagels around the office. To which Carl throws Tony under the bus, so despite tony helping carl out he's still gonna throw t- no that's i don't eat bagels the bagels aren't my thing that's tony. yeah
1: yeah that, that that you're thinking of my boss tony and
0: that's he's like not- no 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 the exterminator's like no that was you are you still doing that and you know kolchek moves on from all that
1: mr grievance
2: frank you remember me carl kolchek ins the ins you fumigated our offices last january for roaches oh yes i remember you you still leaving those half-eaten donuts and bagel crumbs all over your desk? Maybe. Ain't much any exterminator can do for you. You keep up that kind no, of behavior. I, I don't eat bagels. Vincenzo Oh, bagels. yes,
1: you did.
0: But, but uh, Carl gets the info, of course, that he needs. The, <laughs> the exterminator just spray and sprays part of a sandwich, you know. And Carl's like, hey, hey, you may not want to eat that sandwich. And he's like, oh, there's nothing bad. You know, it's nothing worse than what's in the processed meats here. And he's just chomping away. Well, like a Sprite sandwich. I don't know, man. It's just, it's just hilarious to me. Just to him,
1: just, it, it, it's, it's the classic, it's the version of, which has been done a million times of the coroner who's doing the autopsy yeah. while eating food. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's such a, you know it's such an everyday thing for them. They're, they're, they're totally not phased by the dead body nope. in front of them. They're eating a sandwich. The food is falling into the open corpse. You know, it doesn't matter, oh,
0: man. That's, that's a, that's a very <laughs> interesting visual there.
1: Um, <laughs> but
0: yeah, we're back at the Indian restaurant. Yeah, the,
1: the Lakshmi restaurant named after the character Lakshmi who is the who is the guy we will discover is the one we saw in the alley who said rakshasa. But Barry Gordon comes up and is the obviously Jewish man working in in the theme restaurant dressed in, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. some kind of traditional garb and talking about how no one comes in it makes no sense why this restaurant even exists in this neighborhood and how weird the old guy is who owns the place, but he serves Kolshak something called Magoombek. Yeah, And I've always remembered that. And I, as you have, I've gone to Indian restaurants now for decades. I have never seen anything called magumbek or anything like magumbek and why they chose that word. I have no idea.
0: Yeah, 100%. I don't know what that is, but he calls it a beef curry. And then Colshek's like, there's not a whole lot of beef in this curry here you got, you know? And uh, yeah,
1: and they can just as easily have called it Vindaloo or tikka Masala or any one yeah. of the many, many other very common, recognizable Indian dishes that Americans get at their local Indian restaurant. Magumbek, never heard of it.
0: Yeah, just call it curry. I mean, the curry is like the yeah. most famous thing, man. Like, just call it curry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. He, he talks with him and me and you. I, I act like we're like a, a Indian aficionados. Me and you being in Indian restaurants, we we know that that's not one. Yeah. we've studied Indian yeah. Indian food.
1: He but, doesn't even have a mango lassi. I mean, no, he not, He's not drinking a Taj Mahal beer. I'm like, well, come on.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. But poser poser? Not even giving me the beer menu there. No, hey, but I was gonna say one thing. You know, you being in LA, you talk about oh these, Indi- these Indian restaurants aren't like this. Around here, Indian restaurants are like that because in Alabama, how many people are going to Indian restaurants? I mean, you got to think about that. Like, we went in and there was like wow. maybe one one person there, two couples there. Like, it's really
1: the, was it extremely dark? Yeah, and were they were they playing Indian music in the background?
0: Barely, it's barely audible. The Indian. Hey, when we went to Nashville though, we went to a place like and and this is like the so the best restaurants I've learned are like the holes in the wall, the places like. It's an Indian family who immigrated over here. They opened a restaurant and in Nashville, we went and it was for our honeymoon or our anniversary. It was our anniversary recently. So we went and like, there's this Indian restaurant and there's me and one other couple. They had an Indian band there playing music and they played like they were like, the doors at the Fillmore East or Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock, they were like blowing the doors off the place. And there were four people in there. It was just us four and the people on the place and they're playing Indian music, you know, and it was something like nuts. Like we stayed longer just to listen to the music they're playing. Like they're playing in front of, you know, dog theater in San Francisco or something. I don't know. They were just playing amazing.
1: I've never seen that. I've never seen a live uh, Indian band, A, a couple, like I've been, there's a restaurant right here in South Pasadena that, called Radhika, which is great. Yeah. And we go there a lot. And typically I hate this. Like, Like my pet peeve is restaurants with televisions, which may seem ironic because I work in television. But <laughs> when I go to a restaurant, the last thing I want to see is a TV screen because it's very distracting. I want to sit yeah. and enjoy my meal with whoever I'm eating with. And if there's a TV screen, like even in my peripheral vision, it's very hard not to be, glancing over and especially yeah. if it's playing news then i will actually go up and say can you please turn this off or at least turn the channel oh. because but in this particular restaurant it the this the sound is down and they're playing bollywood movies so you're getting <laughs> the visual of the bollywood movie but then they're playing different bollywood music Yeah, in the restaurant that does not correspond to that so weirdly that's okay like oddly i'm i'm okay with that i'll I'll, I'll allow
0: hey you know we have a chain of so i love another one of my loves i don't know if we talked about this is sushi i love sushi so nice yeah but we don't have like real sushi here there's a a very americanized sushi place called rock and roll sushi so you go in go in you order like a uh and it started in Alabama, so I don't know if you even know about this. But they, but they'll have like the Michael Jackson roll, and you'll have it. But it's like a traditional roll. We always get the, I think we get the Michael Jackson, which is like it's a fried roll with, you know, crab meat, and it's topped with like shrimp and crab and stuff. And uh, but yeah, that's, and, and they have like MTV esque like TVs, but it's actually playing music videos of just like classic rock stuff, like. Of course, what classic rock is nowadays, like Nirvana and stuff.
1: Is that really (laughs) like I know,
0: especially you, you're probably looking at like, is that really have I come that far that that's classic rock now?
1: But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm like, well, that's from the time I stopped listening to music and that was 30 (laughs) years ago. So, all right. Very good.
0: Yeah. Which and that's sort of the sushi place that me and my wife go to that we enjoy. Uh, but they play music videos. So I I sort of watch the music videos, but usually I like to have conversation with her. And it's sort of distracting when you have like, you're you're looking because I'm a music guy. And so I look up and go, Oh, that's this band. And she'll, you know, she's like, you know, okay, that's cool. That's cool that you know what band that is right before they announce it, you know, but you know, it's, it's sort of fun doing stuff like that. So he goes in the Indian restaurant. He meets this Jewish fellow that you talked about, orders the beef curry, which Kolshak seems very nonplussed about. And he's like, yeah, I don't there's not much beef in this beef curry, uh to, to be honest. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then of course the the joke about oh, and it's going to it's going to give you indigestion, it's gonna send you running to the bathroom. It's like, really, you know, do we have to do the uh the oh your your western stomach won't be able to handle yeah. these eastern spices.
0: But it re- it really just looked like some rice with some soy sauce, really. That's what it looked looked like to me. Yeah. And it didn't look like
1: Indian food at all. No, the funny thing was it looked, though, like, that, it looked like beef stroganoff. That's what it looked yes. like. And that's what it probably was.
0: It did. It did look like beef stroganoff or at least some gravy over some rice or something. I don't know. But then the guy sitting here and seasoning it for cold check. I've never been to an Indian restaurant. Maybe that's a 70s thing where they season your food for you. Like he's just sitting here.
1: Yeah, no, that's
0: oh, very odd. I just, let me just take a spoonful of that. And he's, Yeah,
1: here, let me finish this with the, uh, you know, the the, the the turmeric and the cilantro.
0: Which, okay. So I don't know if you're of this ilk or if you're of this mindset, but I'm with a mindset of I like to have food the way people intend it to be. Like, if I'm eating Indian food, I want to eat it the way Indian food.
1: Yeah, clearly.
0: But, but like, because even if I don't like, I'm not a big fan of onions. So that's one thing I don't like. But if there's like,
1: oh, dude, onions are I'm, the best.
0: Okay, I know. My wife tells me the same thing. But if there's, that's all
1: right, my wife doesn't like onions or tomatoes, which means that tomatoes? We can, can we almost cannot eat the same foods tomatoes you know, I like she, she doesn't like tomatoes so it's like if she gets a salad or or almost anything she'll say and no tomatoes and no onions Ooh. and i'm like okay well you know I'll put them on the side and i'll eat them on whatever i get yes I that's them.
0: what i do that's what i do my wife does that with certain stuff i'm like just set it on the side so my wife, yeah. not a big she's not a vegetarian but she's not a big meat eater so she was like she don't like like chicken and i'm like how the hell do you not like chicken so she'll say, "Yeah, put the chicken on the side." I'm like, "Hey, give me." She's like, "She'll get a salad with no chicken." I'm like, "No, no, no, put the chicken on the side. On the side, right. I'll put that in my salad." You know, well, that's the way we'll do this. So Cole Shack's eating this this stuff, and he goes and he talks about you know talking about the owner and stuff.
1: Barry Gordon says something really interesting in this scene. He says the old guy's weird. He says opening an Indian restaurant in this neighborhood is crazy, but then the old guy is crazy. Oh, really? What do you mean? You know, Cole Shack's like, "What do you mean he's crazy?" Well, I heard him talking to someone the other night, and he he was talking to one of the old guys who lives around here, and he asked him, do you ever see any of your old friends and relatives hanging around? And the guy says, no, all my friends and relatives are dead. And yeah. the old guy says, it doesn't matter if they're dead or not. Do you see them? Now, that's crazy, right? Yes. Yes. And it's like, but all this information is like like bit by bit, we're adding it up. It's like people are seeing things. What they're seeing is not what is in front of them. So something's going on. I mean, the audience—we're picking it up bit by bit. We're like, okay, what we're getting so far is that people are seeing what they think is someone they know and or trust, but it's really a monster. But for some reason, they don't see the monster. So we don't know what's happening or why the monster is doing this. But that is what's happening. So that's the information we're getting, and this scene adds to that.
0: Yeah, and uh, so the you know he talks to the worker, and then. Like any, any sensible person does, Kolchak asks to go to the bathroom and he breaks into the adjacent building. We've all been there. We've all la- left, went to go to the bathroom and broken into a bu- building very adjacent
1: to that. Look, when you're Kolshak and you're an investigative reporter and you're, you know, uh, hunting another supernatural creature, of course, you're going to just use any excuse to go somewhere you're not supposed to go.
0: Yeah, but Kolshak even goes as far to like take the crowbar and pop that lock that's on there get into this guy's house and uh, it, about, it about calls Shack Like we may have seen the end of Kolshak in this episode for by some of his antics that he does.
1: Well, it's weird. Cause then, then we get the scene where again, the, the, the old guy uh, Lakshmi see, you know, Kolshak sort of, you know, looks at whatever this, this setup is in this guy's living space There's a lot of candles lit. There's a giant swastika. I mean, it looks weird. It really does set off alarm bells of like, this does feel creepy. And and it does feel weirdly Nazi-ish, but it doesn't seem like it's Nazis, but it could be Nazis, but we're not sure. But anyway, then the old guy comes in, aims a crossbow at Kolschak and shoots at Kolschak. Misses, and then Kolschak runs out of there, right?
0: Yeah, and he sort of like goes against the wall praying because he missed him. And I'm sure he thought that, hey, I'm about to get just devoured here. But
1: again, what's weird about it is what was he seeing? Now, we know what he was seeing. He was seeing Kolshak because Kolshak isn't the Rakshasa, and Kolshak does not have the ability to make someone see something else. So this guy is seeing Kolshak, but this guy doesn't even know Kolshak. So why does he think he's seeing the Rakshasa? he's not going to be seeing what someone else is seeing. It's not like the Rakshasa just stays in Kolchak form based on the fact that Harry Starman saw him as Kolchak because Harry Starman did trust Kolchak. So this is part of the story where it's like, now what they're sort of implying is that this guy is old. He's yeah. losing his judgment. I think the argument would be because he's getting old, he's he's making mistakes and he realizes that in 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 the split second he sees kolshak that that's not a rakshasa but he's scared and and he's startled and he accidentally fires and and kolshak runs out of there i i guess that's what they're going for but you know uh, again that, that part of the story didn't quite hang together for me
0: hey you okay, here was my perspective, and maybe I'm just filling holes here because that's what I do, and I'm taking up for the riders in this. I don't know. But I sort of thought of it as he's been hunting this creature for 60 years, he says, later on, which we'll get to. But maybe he's in a mindset, and especially because Hinduism and and the Eastern religions, you know, especially uh, being familiar with the Beatles, that's one of the things I've noticed. is like Eastern religion's all about mind over matter. is about things like – interpretation like being in your own head and maybe there's a way that he can connect with the outside world and connect with what people see and he can see the rakshasa for what other people see it as and maybe that's me i'm i'm pretty much giving the writer so much slack here
1: yeah yeah like like i i I think you are i think you're stretching it because i think if you're going down that road you could you could argue that that this guy this rakshasa hunter is one uh, having, having hunted them so long and having mastered mind over matter, he can see the Rakshasa in its true form. Yeah. So I think you're right. You're I think right. you could make that argument that, that he, he would actually see the monster itself. Other than that, I'm not sure how they would the Kolshak connection works, but, but okay. It, it, it happens. W- Kolchak almost gets shot. We move on.
0: Yeah, because here, I'm. Uh, if I'm, if I'm the teacher grade in this paper, I'm. I'll get to my score later on, but this doesn't impact my rating because he runs by the guy, sort of praying, sort of clutching his chest, and he's, and he's holding, you know, he's sort of holding his chest, sort of giving the prayers that he does. But my, he, yeah. he, he just had no regard. He just shot, shot that thing at right at Kolchak. Then Kolchak gets back to the office, you know he relays all this to Tony. Tony's real hung up on the crossbow. Like Tony keeps coming back. So there's a crossbow. So, the, you know, there was a crossbow shot at you, the crossbow, you know, Tony's really, really all, all into that. And Carl tells him, and here's God, this is another perfect moment where, so Ron Updike has so little lines in this, but he plays yeah. up to perfection. This may be Ron up for so far. This may be Jack Greenwich's best performance so far. And that's, I don't know. I just love the love Jack Greenwich in this episode because, you know, Carl tells him about the swastikas, you know, it's actually an ancient Hindu sign, to, you know, ward off evil spirits out of nowhere. Like Ron's just sort of sitting in the corner, like observing this. And it's sort of like, you know, the grandparent you have who like you've talked to in like 10 minutes after you said something, they come back and sort of, Oh, you know, this right here, like after you've said it, like, he's just like out <laughs> of nowhere. Oh yeah, in 1066, you know, Saxon actually lost a battle at Hastings because the longbows of the Normans were better than their crossbows, and all this stuff. And it's like, dude, we we've we we glazed over the crossbows, and we're on to talking about the the, the, the symbols of the Nazis and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, and, this is this is now we're moving into more classic Kolshak the Night Stalker territory, yeah. where where Vincenzo is getting is getting a little bit impatient with what carl's talking about and then even more confused and annoyed by what updike is talking about and it's just like okay look i'm sick of both of you at this point yeah i don't know what the i'm supposed to make out of all this but
0: here's the thing though sort of like tony does anything he can to sort of placate ron he sort of just like hey you know that's that's interesting ron just it's like he doesn't but he does sort of shoo him out of the office like get the hell out of my office. And Ron. Looked, yeah.
1: He's like, thank you for your input. Yeah.
0: Get out. yeah. Your services are, are no longer needed here, sir. That was great information. But the, the shot of the day is them. Jack Greenwich's character, Ron Dr. leaves looking like a, he just sort of looks so, so sad. So upset. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and he's just like befuddled and hurt. And he walks out and he's sort of, he looks back at him and Tony and Carl are <laughs> staring at him the whole walk as he walks around, takes the left, goes back and sits down in his chair. And he looks, looks like a lost puppy. Looks like that puppy at the pound. You see when you go see, and the cup <laughs> and Carl, and there's no F's given here by Carl and Tony here. They go back into the conversation. It takes a lot of cold to set Tony off. But it takes a little bit, wee little bit of of Ron just to push him over the edge. Like no matter what Ron yeah. does, like it's like times ten what Kolchak. It takes Kolchak almost shutting down the newspaper by sending something over the wire to get Tony to what it takes for Ron to put the wrong adjective in an article for him to just get pissed
1: about. I don't know. Well, I think I, I think of uh, Vincenzo, and we saw this more in the TV movies that that there was always a point where Vincenzo concedes that Kolschak is a good reporter. And yeah. he recognizes that. And, and and this is what we understand to be the only reason he still employs Kolschak. Because with yeah. all of the problems, all of the weird monsters and vampire stories and werewolves, that when it's not that... He's a good reporter. All the weeks where they don't film episodes where Kolshak's just covering normal stuff, he does a good job and he typically is reliable. And Vincenzo recognizes that in terms of journalists, Kolshak knows what he's doing. So I, I always love it when that element plays out in an episode. I think this is one of those moments.
0: Yeah. And we come back, we get the shot back into, into the office With just Carl and Tony now, and you know Tony's like non sequiturs are going to drive me into a state of institution, and Carl, he's just going to keep on rolling with what he's got to tell Tony. You know Tony's ready to leave, but he makes sure to point out again, you're dripping your print, your fresh prints on my desk. You know I can't be having that. And and then Carl, of course, leaves the office, and we see Tony sort of kick back in the chair. He says Indians, swastikas, the Norman Conquest am I supposed to see God's design and all of this? Like he's, he's questioning the mere existence of like everything. Like God, did you put so me great. Here for a reason to hear this crap? Did you hear, it's just a reason I'm trying to hear all this. But of course, then we get the cut to the cops on patrol. Of course, the 2am shift.
1: Yeah. But, and, and it's, and, and again, it's the same cop. It's the cop we've been yeah. seeing at all the yeah. investigations. It's that same guy, but they do say, and again, they, they advance the mythology a little, Because now we've got two people seeing the Rakshasa, but they're each seeing someone different, right?
0: Yeah, and this that was like the coolest thing of the whole thing. Because so, you know, they come up to this point, and the one's like, hey, I saw something go down that alley. And we don't see it on screen. But then it was like, okay, okay, I'll get out. The, The passenger cop gets out and checks it. And about the time he sees the Rakshasa, we see that brief shot of like his back sort of, He's hunched over sort of running down the, down that little section. And he's like, okay, I'll get out. The driver gets out as well. And the driver's like, you know, it's the Sergeant.
1: Yeah. And, but I think the first guy sees the Sergeant and yeah. then the other guy,
0: he sees his mom and he's like, mom, you know, what are you doing? He runs after me. And the, the guy doesn't respond quick enough to sort of save him. He's like, I think if he responds quick enough to say, that's not your mom, that's the Sergeant. Maybe they both realize that, Hey, we're seeing different things. But as he's running by and he's gone, he's like, what are you talking about? And he doesn't hear him. But and that changes the whole course of the episode, I think, which maybe they both still die anyways. But I think that changes the whole course of the episode. If, if he can communicate that a bit
1: different. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it's a really chilling moment. It, it, it leads to another sort of head scratcher because these guys both get killed and and yeah. then later it reference i think Kolshak sort of makes a reference It's like well the scuttlebutt is that this guy yes. saw his mm-hmm. mom you know thought he saw his mom in the alley before he was killed and and you're like well, how could anyone yeah. know that there was no one else there and then they were killed now there's a way you can do it yeah. nowadays you'd have cops who've got the you know the microphone right on their shoulder and so you talk to a dispatch officer who's like well, I can play you the tape. It's really weird because we've got Officer A saying Sergeant Murphy or whatever. But now you can hear Officer B going, Mom what, are you, Mom, what are you doing here? And the dispatcher could be the one saying, we don't know what to make of it. These were their last words, but it sounds like they were each seeing something different. And that could be a really cool scene. I could have given a lot of information why that wasn't done i don't know you know you could have easily had a live radio transferring some of these conversations back to a dispatcher but hey i can't re-break every episode yeah. that was filmed 50 years ago i got my own problems
0: yeah hey and you did something similar to that in uh mothman prophecies didn't you uh using like radio and conversations where
1: probably i mean well, i feel like i've you know I and writers I've worked with have used stuff like, because you do, it's like you have to figure out ways where information can be transferred easily. It's much easier. Now the, the degree to which we as TV writers in, in genre TV shows rely on cell phones, security camera footage, computers I, I mean the the fact that on Titans they can all talk to each other at all yes. times. Yeah. They literally they're they're just apparently there's microphones in their bodies, so no matter where they are, they can be talking to Dick Grayson or you know Gar can be talking to Corey. It, it just it it doesn't matter, and we just accept it, and it's no one questions it and. It's awesome because it makes our lives much easier.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's like the, the the you know, where we're living in now. One of my favorite shows is Stranger Things. And I love the fact that they have to use like, you know, walkie talkies. And then sometimes it's fun watching interviews with the Duffer brothers because they're like, yeah, certain times when we want the walkie talkies to be out of range, you know, hey, they can't hear what's happening here or there and that's a fun element to it when you're doing shooting stuff like period pieces but with you like you have to like i know when hank there whenever hank spoiler alert spoiler alert whenever hank gets killed (laughs) uh he's like oh you know uh red hood is like you know make sure you don't have anything on you and he has to sort of take everything off you know it's it's you have to explain it in the story whereas like if you're doing it's sort of the, a double-edged sword. Either you can use it to your advantage or you can use it to your detriment. You know, you have to if, – if you have everybody mocked up all the time, you have to explain why somebody isn't mocked up whenever they can. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's actually the tougher part is like, well, why in the world would they not be yes. able to communicate since, you know, everyone's got, you know, cell phones? And not only that, but you're dealing with a show where – we have introduced the notion of, you know, future technology, yeah. sort of, you know, Bruce Wayne Enterprises, Wayne Tech, Batman Tech. So so it becomes very hard to say, oh, they're out of range because we rely so much on, oh, yeah. no, these computers are just like your computers, only better. These phones and these communication devices are like yours, only better, mm-hmm. which again, saves us nine times out of 10 and then fucks us that 10th time when it's like, <laughs> oh, shit, we've got, we we have to have him out of contact. How are we going to do it? And then you have to come up with stuff.
0: Which, and that's one of the, I guess that's one of the challenges in every writing room. I'm sure people, they had challenges in 1974, like how do people, you mentioned it, how do people know that this happened? And it's just sort of like, well, we won't explain it. Cole shack just sort of has sources that know what actually happened for whatever the hell reason. And that's one thing that happened here that slipped through the cracks. Like, and, and it didn't deter my rating because I don't know. I, I gave this episode a pass because for, I don't know, for one thing, Mark, the talked this episode up to me and, and this was the episode. Okay, yeah. He, and this was the episode, Mark, the He said, I want to be on the horror in the highs episode. So, and he's hard at work on an Edgar Allan Poe thing. And
1: uh, Mark, come on, man. Yeah, where Mark, are you?
0: Where are you, man? Mark, you think Edgar Allan publishing uh, some book is more important than being on some measly old podcast about Cole shack that only a few hundred people listen to? Come on. Come on, Mark.
1: Edgar Allan Poe died years ago. <laughs> this book, don't worry. It, um, it's already, it's already old news. You don't need to hurry.
0: I laugh, oh man. I laughed too hard at that. I don't know why I laughed so hard at that. Maybe it's because I'm a little bit, uh, I, I mixed those drinks a little too strong tonight, but that was,
1: that Damn, I got to catch up with you, man. My drink didn't do it. <laughs> I'm way too sober for this conversation.
0: I'm way too sober for some Kolschak, uh, which maybe works. Maybe Kolschak, the, the movie Kolschak would be a little bit more unsober unsober a little bit more inebriated than the uh than the show Col shack but here we are and the thing i think I, I really liked about this was he sees the sergeant killing him he's like sergeant you know, stay back you know and he unloads his whole round into him he, his whole weapon he empties it into him and he still gets killed here and uh i think this is one of the episodes so one thing i mentioned talked about with robert was like the episode the werewolf was like the first episode where i felt like he was in imminent danger you know like hey this is like he's fighting him he's hanging off the side of a cruise ship for for crying out loud but this is like an episode where this scene right here sort of sets up how dangerous bullets do nothing he's impervious to bullets he's a right. regular he's a regular super <laughs> Titans. carl ends up going to the curator of an indian artifacts and figures out the info he needs to have and there's some golden scenes and golden lines of dialogue right here the rock precedes ravana whose deeds are so horrible they stop the sun and the moon in their course to which kolshak replies you know i had a day with a girl in college like that once and
1: kolshak being
0: kolshak man i
1: love it yeah this is this is the classic scene where he goes to the expert and hears the story yeah and we get all the information we need i mean once he hears the word rakshasa and then goes mm-hmm. to someone who knows something about indian culture and it's unfortunate that it's not an Indian person, that again, it's yeah. a, a colonial, you know, sort of explaining about uh, Indian culture, but that's, a, you know, again, 1974, that's, you know, to be expected. But this person gives us everything we need to know. They say, this is a, this is a demon. Here's the backstory. It, it, it appears to you as someone you trust. Uh, that's everything he needs to know. And now he, uh, and now we're into the uh, Kolchak end game.
0: Yeah. And I, he uses a phrase here. Like when Kolchak does that, he's like, Hey, I'm tired of your nonsense. You know, I don't I appreciate, it. he don't appreciate his jokes. And he doesn't want to bother Kolshak because he's being a music hall wag. So I'm going to start saying if somebody's just getting on a, Hey, you're just, you just want to cause be a music hall wag. That's what I'm going to start telling
1: them. I, I know. I, I mean, it, it, it's you don't get dialogue like that nowadays. So if you want someone to call someone else a music hall wag here you, you <laughs> found your destination.
0: Yeah. And to Kulshak, he sort of, cause this is one thing Cole does. That's like this paramount. He's just perfect at this. He strokes guys, guys, ego, like, Oh, I thought you're a man of jokes. I loved your cauliflower joke earlier. You know, I thought it was really good.
2: I noticed that you were a man who appreciated a good joke over there. I mean, cauliflower <laughs> oh, yes, no, Again, good. Yeah.
0: this is the end game like you talked about rakshasa is killed by arrows blessed by the brahma god from a crossbow so he talks about all that kolchak pieces everything together but it's like he don't have enough information. So he's, you know, the some other people come in. The other people leave that he was like helping. And that's the funny part, too, is like these people are getting di- more dismayed over time. Like, I mean, you see the camera cut to them occasionally before they eventually walk out. And then when the new people walk in, like he's like, I've got to help these people because I'm losing sales here.
1: Classic sort of Night Stalker moment of yeah. Kolsack being the bad kid and having an adult authority figure sort of treat him like Dennis the menace. And it's like, I got to get this guy out of here. Okay. What, what do you need to leave?
0: Well, after the new people leave and the new people come in, Kolchak's like just being that obnoxious guy, you know, Hey, you know, uh, did you ever say citizen Kane, which is ironic because we talked about who was, it? oh right who was in one of the guys who was in citizen Kane. It says Benny Rubin, which Benny Rubin plays.
1: Oh, he's, uh, the guy at the beginning, Julius uh, Buck. Buck yep. Yeah.
0: Man, Rich, you're just a fountain of not you're you're just overflowing, you're spewing knowledge everywhere. You're like
1: look sp- when you've seen these episodes as many times as I have over the course of the last you know 35-40 years, certain things just get emblazoned <laughs> into my brain.
0: They talk he Kolshak sort of gives that little, little line. Oh, you've you know, I think I think you know, what about Citizen Kane? Have you seen Citizen Kane? And he sort of raises his voice. Yes, I've, you know, and he calms down. And he says yeah, you know, there there's something over there that you'll like to see. And he points him in the direction of the uh, the 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 sort of painting that looks the little art is sort of like a charcoal drawing that looks like a sort of like a bigfoot, man. It's sort of like a bigfoot with a woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it it's sort of hard to see exactly what it is. Yeah. And it took repeated viewings before I'm like, "Okay, I sort of see a face in in the sort of wild, you yeah. know, sort of massive yeah. hair kind of thing." But you don't feel like okay now I know exactly what I'm going to see at the final scene of the episode.
0: Yeah, and it's also sort of it looks like Bigfoot, but if you notice, like there's like sort of these claw looking toenails that you don't see in relation to Bigfoot. Bigfoot often at times has like humanoid looking feet, I guess. Um,
1: Well, you got to realize that this whatever that picture is that they're looking at that was created for this show. There were artists employed by you know Universal who. All those paintings you saw in night gallery, somebody had to paint those paintings. Yeah, yeah, Th- yeah. Those weren't just pre-existing paintings they got at garage sales. In fact, a, a woman was a friend of mine who I was friends with in college. Her mother was an artist and did those did those gigs. Uh, she would do oh, really? she would do artwork that appeared in set deck in for Universal Studios. So so anyway, so at, at a certain point in pre-production. They had to sit down and go. Okay, what's the creature going to look like when we see it, and then what is this piece of of uh, traditional art going to look like? How close are they going to be? How close should they be? Maybe they shouldn't be that close. Yeah. You know, this is a more primitive interpretation of what this imaginary demon looks like. But this had to get all sorted out. I mean, th- there were literally. You know, hours and hours and hours were spent figuring out exactly this and then creating not only the costume that we later see that is the Rakshasa, but someone had to make this piece of art. It did not exist. It was made for this episode.
0: And, And, you know, that's one of the things we know. Even going, uh, you know, talking about artwork done, like there's things that you don't even realize that I don't think maybe we're employed in Col shake, but like we're employed like in Charlie Chaplin films. Have you ever seen the, whenever Charlie Chaplin, he's rolling on his, on his skates and he rolls to like the edge of like the, the library where he's about to fall off down the, down this extended area into the thing, but it ends up turning out the like keys. He, you know, he, uh, he saves himself, but that's a map painting on like a glass sheet or something. You know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, in star Wars, especially when Obi-Wan Kenobi's like crawling across to get to the, you know, the inner core of the death star. That's a map painting, like underneath him where you see like the stories and stories of like he falls, he dies. That's a map painting. There's a lot of jobs nowadays that are taken over by CGI that you necessarily wouldn't think like, Oh, you know, nowadays, like if you're processing this, like you're in your brain, like, Oh, I wouldn't think about needing a matte painter necessarily. Like if you're running a show, like in 2020, like you, you do yourself for 20 million.
1: That was a huge part of the industry, even in the eighties, when I was learning about, you know, the secrets of film, special effects. Yeah. They were describing careers and processes and uh, areas of expertise that simply aren't used at all anymore. It doesn't exist. You know, a lot, a lot of stuff that was in, like you said, um, the Star Wars films, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all yes. that kind of stuff. It's just like, yeah, we don't, you know, when, when we need to show something weird happening in the sky, we're not using a giant tank of water with different, you know, with different fluids to represent clouds that we then treat. And then we, you know, do something to the film. It was far more painstaking and difficult and required much more physical artistry. Mm-hmm. And now it effects like that still require artistry, but it's the art is being rendered within the computer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's not being done in a giant, you know, warehouse with, uh, you know, tons and tons of equipment and, you know, uh, paint. It's all done in a room in the dark.
0: Yeah. Which don't get me wrong. So I'm going to say something here. And I don't want it to be taken. Like I'm disparaging today's like CGI and stuff. But there's like an element of it to to think like, hey, in order to shoot this scene, we have to paint it on a glass piece, a piece of glass. We have to line it up correctly in the shot. and We have to shoot it through this pane of glass through to what we're shooting it to. So it looks like if Charlie Chaplin falls off this thing, he's fallen stories and stories to his death or something. You know, I mean, there's just and, and I know that there's hun- there's probably hundreds of hours put into the CGI. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to disparage anything. No, not at all. Not at all. I don't, you know but there's just like a different aspect to it in this sense.
1: Oh, and, it, and it feels different. The yeah. effects that are rendered physically do feel different when you're watching them. And I'm not saying better or worse, but it's a different, it's almost a different yeah. physical experience looking at it. Your brain isn't necessarily fooled by certain computer generated images. You 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 don't feel like you're necessarily in a three dimensional environment sometimes, and and that's too bad.
0: Yeah, because even things like uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite series of all time. One thing I remember watching as kid is Star Wars. The first three Star Wars movies, and George Lucas is always you know screwing with stuff behind the scenes, making new additions. But I remember seeing those in like I didn't realize like the scene where they're on the Death Star and all the uh, stormtroopers lined up. That's all a map painting, but maybe like a few of the stormtroopers and and Darth yeah. Vader coming out. It's all a st- in and think of ma- the amount of man hours that went into, and I'm sure that's equal to whatever CGI hours that could be happening. But like there's man hours that go into painting this huge map painting that ends up being like a perfect shot. And the, the effects that go into making it, because there's things that you could shoot nowadays that could take, you know, 10 minutes that would take, you know, hours upon hours, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, moving on in the story. I would love, so here's one of the, one of the people I, I watch on YouTube is called the corridor crew. And they do a lot of like CGI and they do stuntman reacts and stuff. I would love for them to talk about like some of the Paul Baxley stuff and the whole Baxley family does like the, uh, yeah. the, the stunts and stuff for that. For them to react to that, or even Dick Warlock, who ends up going on to be in Halloween Two and being the Shape, or or Michael Myers in Halloween Two, he ends up donning the mask for Halloween Two, he does a lot of the stunts in in Colshack as well. And I would love for them to react to some of that stuff.
1: That would be so great.
0: So moving on here, we you know we talked about being a nine S and 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 Colshack coming back and uh, Tony being upset with Carl talking. He's like, you know, you you really think that I would post something about an evil spirit? You know from New Delhi making sandwiches of people. And, you know, Carl's like, no, no, he's not. He's not from New Delhi. You're, you're getting that all wrong. But obviously, Starman never had to depend on you to come up with a cogent story to turn a profit. You know, he's talking about this because he's saying, yeah, all these people, they see him as people they trust. And he's like, surely he doesn't see you as somebody he trusts, Carl, because uh, I don't even trust you. <laughs> but Carl's like, just send the send the story over the wire. I want you to send this and... And maybe even if we get a few people who read this, a few older people who believe this, we can
1: even if even if a few people believe it or think that it's a joke, it might save a couple of lives. You know? Yeah. And there was that weird flash where it's like, oh, my God, it's like it like this weird cold tremor of, yeah, we're living in a world now where old people are watching things on TV and believing it, even if it sounds absurd. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 there was this sort of weird moment of social precognition coming from uh, the night stalker.
0: Yeah. And Tony says, you know, they'll believe it all because they are seen and miss Emily, what a Ruth McDevitt air. chef's kiss for chef's kiss for Ruth McDevitt. Miss Emily chimes up. She says that Tony may have, may be her employer, but he is walking on eggs when he talks that way. And she throws in, Uh, Buster at the end, you know, just so you know, she's mean in business. You know, you, you don't talk to us that way. Buster. And,
1: and, and and not only that, I, I would be willing to bet that this entire scene exists simply to remind us of Miss Emily. Yeah. To bring her forward again in the story to remind. So everyone's like, Oh, right. She's in the story. She's part of this family. She's on Carl's side in arguing with Vincenzo we like her and yeah we just saw her so it's like okay freshen our memories for a little later
0: yeah because Miss Emily's like the hero here and when the scene comes later that you're talking about it's like you don't think twice about it of course this is the person that Carl trusts more than anything in life Tony's just had enough of it he's like as far as I'm concerned it's bedtime for Bonzo which Bedtime for Bonzo is a fifty-one film, nineteen fifty-one film with Ronald Reagan.
1: Bonzo, don't scold him; he
2: didn't mean it. Well, that's beside the point. Aggressiveness like that could become an aberration.
1: He's like making a reference to his own reference. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, okay. Again, this scene is much more okay. This is like the the scene that's in every episode where, where yeah Chandra's loses his patience with, with Cole And it's like, okay, you know, it's not the best one. It's not the worst one, but I, I prefer the scenes where they're just quietly talking to each other.
0: So they're having that conversation. Tony leaves. This is like the perfect, like role reversal, like Cole like turns into the Tony Vincenzo here. He's like yelling, uh, you know, we see, we see it. He's like, you know, wh- wh- where are you going? And Tony says, you know, he sort of blows him off there. And he says, Vincenzo, get back here. And it's like, it's like, what we see every episode with Carl? But just completely 360, wait, 300, 180 degrees. Cause you know, 360 right. would be all the way back around. Yeah. But
1: <laughs> I got to have some of what you're drinking probably. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Ron showing that Jack Greenwich can like go to the, to the, up. Uh, with no lines can just be the perfect actor Uh, he walks by so tony throws away the story he's not putting that over the wires he throws it in the trash jack greenwich comes in as carl's digging it out of the trash and he just sort of gives that look like yeah okay well i don't know what the hell you're doing here carl but you know it doesn't surprise me because that's what you do and he goes and sits down sort of gives a look of disapproval sort of gives that scoff and as carl walks by. You know, that's where I get all my stories. He says that in sort of yeah. jest to him.
1: It's so good. I, I I never get enough of those characters talking to each other. I, I I I could have I could have watched an entire episode with nothing but the four of them bouncing off each other.
0: Yeah, and Carl, maybe Carl's like doing a doing a story on traffic tif- tickets and while they're they're unevenly distributed or whatever. I would watch that episode. I don't care if there's not a cryptid or a creature in it. Hell, i will watch that. And mean you've talked about it before because it's just golden. It's uh Carl being Carl, Ron being Ron, Tony being Tony. It is what it is. And it's 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 I think it's what drives the episode and it's what helps this episode to be like the, the upper echelon of episodes. And I think it's what Mark Dewoodziak sees in this episode that makes it what it is. Um but we get that role reversal. Uh and then Miss Emily trying to take I think, you know, I think he's going to get his shots and stuff and <laughs> something that probably wouldn't fly today a comment i'd love to give him a shot in the head oh like that was like that would fly today <laughs> no. yeah yeah i don't know what's what carl's thinking there so we get back to the indian restaurant after a, a little uh, a split there and carl leaps and bounds over the walls looks like a spring chicken uh just leaping over and he goes into the breaks back into the owner's quarters after getting so okay Okay, uh, Rich, if I'm if I'm here and you've been shot at with a crossbow the first time, are you going back into the 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 quarters, the area, the living area of the guy that just shot at
1: you? Apparently, if you're Carl Kolshak, you are. Yeah, you know, It's like you're 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 used to risking your life, so you're going to keep doing it.
0: Yeah, so he's just gonna just, just look like a uh, uh, salmon balls just hopping over this wall here, and but he actually gets to the in, to the uh, Indian guy and he talks about being sorry for firing on Carl. He has roamed the world for sixty years killing Rakshasas, and has uh, bagged a few over the years, but he's pushing eighty and his hunting days are over. He needs to pass his arrows over to someone who is cleared, clear minded, honest, and brave. Someone like Carl. He pushes that on Carl, and it's sort of like he he commits to it, but then he doesn't it's like it's sort of like he commits to it and then he's like you know you don't have to take it and then he's like here just take him just in case you you end up encountering
1: you know yeah it's a really interesting scene um the the first thing that i really like about it is that Kolchak's meeting a version of himself he's he's meeting someone yeah. who has devoted himself to killing supernatural creatures and and even though colchak doesn't really grab on to that for the audience it's like oh this is like th- this is this is a guy who who that's all he does and and he does share a kinship to colchak in that way it it's it's particularly affecting to hear that he's been doing it for for 60 years yeah. and he's only killed a few it's like i've spent my entire life and maybe you get the feeling that maybe three or four. And it's like, wow, that's insane. And he travels the world. He's clearly come to Chicago because of something he's heard. He goes to the trouble of opening a restaurant so he yeah. can plant himself there and try to track down the local Rakshasa who has found its way to Chicago. I mean, so much is suggested in this story. And then ultimately Kolchak is, is, extremely benevolent and, and, and really compassionate with this guy. He's like, yeah. look, you're, 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 you're old. You're, you're, you're clearly sick. Also. Let me take you to a doctor. He, it's almost like I, I'm no longer interested in following a story or hunting yeah. a monster or figuring out a, a Rakshasa. You, I'll pull my car around. Let me take you to a hospital. You're clearly yeah. in need of help. And the guy's like, no, I'm not important right now. The Rakshasa is close. You do it. You're like me. I recognize in you that you're a monster hunter. Go do this thing.
2: Oh, oh, oh. You're very ill. Looks like you've got a fever here. Listen, I've got a car outside. Let me take you to the hospital. No, no, I have to remain here and try to complete my task. Hunting the Rakshasa? Yes, I am a servant of Brahma. I must do my duty.
1: All of this is happening in the scene. It's one of my most favorite scenes in the entire series. And, And then it's capped with this really like disturbing, amazing, cool, heartbreaking, and bracing acknowledgement of an element of Kolshak's character. When the guy says, look, this monster will appear to you as somebody you trust, but don't let that fool you. You've got to yeah. kill it. And Kolchak says, "There's only one problem: there isn't anyone that I trust." Yeah, and it's such a great Kolchak line, and you totally believe it in the moment. You're like, "Yeah, okay." If Kolchak says it, I kind of believe it. I mean, yeah. we've been given no lover, no wife, no son, no uncle, no. No one that you immediately go, oh, well, of course he trusts, you know, within this moment, you believe it. And, you know, obviously we know how it plays out, but it's such a great insight into how he sees himself. If you asked him in that moment, he'd say there is no one on the trust side of the line. But obviously, there is.
0: so so he warns Carl talking about someone he's trust. Carl Carl doesn't trust anybody. You mentioned that earlier. Carl don't don't trust his soul. He ain't worried about it. So uh, he gets passed off this this sacred Brahm blessed arrow with the crossbow. So Carl's like, you know anything that uh you know I'm not worried about this, nothing's gonna happen. So so he sees Emily all of a sudden sort of coming from the corner of this of this uh, warehouse looking th- you know sort of the alley situation. Uh, and she's like, Oh, you know, I just, this is the first time we see. So I would I wouldn't have shot her. I wouldn't have shot her.
1: Well, it's very strange because again, from the audience point of view, uh, this is the first time we've seen a character speak. Now it appears that the other victims did not see no. the person speak. So it is, it is a trick played on the audience, but it's a good trick. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, you know, it works and it it certainly cranks up the tension about, you know, well, wait a second. You know, it's referring to things that she's talked about writing the detective novel. It's just within the bounds of credibility that maybe she did. She's got she's got some grit and yeah. suddenly she's there and you're like, whoa. Is it? Now, here's another small pet peeve I have. Carl seems very relaxed. He yeah, does not yeah. seem nervous or, or conflicted at all. He's telling her to stop. He's saying, don't get any closer, but you don't really see him struggling with, am I going to shoot this? Or is this person possibly a monster that is going to rip me to pieces? He seems pretty chill. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Carl seems like he's uh, he he's just like, you know, I, he don't come any closer. But he, but he doesn't have that urgency, I guess. Which I think maybe, maybe that's the way Darren McGavin played it. Because at the same time, I really didn't feel like I. So here's here's what I was thinking the whole time. I thought as soon as the the Indian uh, gentleman said it, the eighty year old Indian said it to him. I thought this is going to be Tony coming at him. Tony's going to come at him, and and he's going to be the guy that he he trusted.
1: Interesting. I'm, yeah, could have been.
0: But when when Emily comes at him and starts talking, I'm like, "Oh, do, please, do God, don't shoot Emily! It's not Emily! It's Carl! Stop! It's not Emily!" So, if, well, if this is would have been
1: killed, if you oh, were in charge,
0: if I'm in charge, Shack's dead. We don't see any more Kolchak. It's done. Uh, we don't see the 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 you know the the ten out of ten episodes like the century. We
1: don't get that episode if. Well, then, 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 then I, you know, so uh, yeah, as we know, he does fire the crossbow. A couple of, f- I would say, fairly unfortunate climax moments follow. One is a somewhat effective shot of Emily with the arrow having been fired into her. But if you watch it more than once, oh, yeah, you know, it's very clear that there's this giant. <laughs> uh, yes which makes no sense and looks terrible yeah she sort of you know her performance is fine but the the actual physical effect is not impressive at all and then we cut back to shack because there's just that split second of oh it was emily yeah and then we go back and it's the monster which again you're seeing for one of the first times, and probably the yeah. longest you see it, and again, not super impressive. And then the creature just sort of falls over sideways in a way, in a way that almost felt comical, like it, like it got conked on the head, and now it's falling over. I so I do take issue with with some of the camera work, some of the direction of this moment. And it's frustrating because sometimes these climactic battles in the Night Stalker are, are fantastic. Yes. Sometimes they miss the mark. This one, especially in the couple of seconds of aftermath, for me, missed the mark. Ow. Again, I forgive it because the episode itself I think is fantastic. But I just wish they carried off these moments a little better.
0: Man, Rich. So this was my first time watching it was today. And and man, you're really making me think too hard about this. I I was completely content with the ending and I'm thinking more about it. And I did see the, the pad with him. So here's what I don't understand. So when Emily gets shot and she, and she has this pad, we don't see her get shot. We just see him pull the trigger. Why does she need that? Why don't just break the end off the arrow and have her hold it in her hand? I don't, I don't understand why they need that big pad there.
1: You're a hundred percent correct. There is no need for a pad. Now, what they might have done is actually done an effect where it's like, okay, you're going to have this thing, and we're actually going to see the arrow hit you, but it's going to hit this pad. Yeah, did not to use that shot. But I mean, wh- first of all, having seen what it looked like, they should have immediately realized, well, we're we're never going to be able to show the arrow hitting her because it looks absurd. Yeah. How do we know that? Why don't we take the pad off? And just have her hold it. And, and then we can decide later what we're going to use. It would not have taken much time, but Hey, you know what? Again, can't re-break and refilm an episode from 50 years ago. Yeah. I'm just going to have to. <laughs> don't make
0: it look like a shot from my 600 pound life or something like Emily's all of a sudden gained all this weight. I don't know. You know, it- and so we see the shot, and but I, I don't have the gripes that you have. I don't, I didn't mind him falling over sideways. I didn't have a problem with that. Like it just sort of seemed like a, a Clint Eastwood type, like a, a I don't know, the full of dollars or something, you know, like him just sort of getting hit and and, and him changing back in the rock shot. So we're getting that shot and him falling over. I don't know.
1: This may have been again from a guy who's seen this many, many times over the course of 40 years. So, so I will, I, I will allow that on first viewing, it, 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 it doesn't, you know, look, what you're describing is what I hope for in the television shows that I work on, which is, uh, you know, when we're producing episodes, we've read the script a million times. We've seen the shots a million times. We've seen many, many edited versions of the episode before it shows on television. And it's hard to remember that, No one else has seen it a million times. They're seeing it for the first time and they're just absorbing what they're absorbing. And what's funny is there's things that bother you that no one ever notices. And there are things that you never saw, even in the millions of times you've read the script and seen the scenes and watched the cuts and the audience is like, oh, they, they see it right away. And you're like, oh my God, how did we f- miss that?
0: And I think that's sort of the writer's burden, you know, sort of like the the Greek mythology where the you push the the boulder up the hill and it falls down the other side. You're always going to see the the things that didn't happen or the things that didn't go the way you wanted to. And you're not going to see the brilliance in the things. All, I mean, I'm sure you will, but it's oftentimes it sort of overshadows the brilliance of the things that you do.
1: And, and, and my feeling is, if a story has dramatic heft and has an engaging story, it will carry you through certain moments that are not executed perfectly. Yeah, I think that's what happened for you in this cuz I think this is a very compelling concept and a well-told story. And so it, it it the 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 momentum of that carried you through these moments and I'm glad they did.
0: Yeah, and so I would have loved to see, and this is the thing that I think I had when we talked about the Spanish Moss mergers. I would have loved to see the struggle a little bit more. Maybe Kolchak's a little nervous. He misses with that first arrow. He has to load the next one real quick. That would have added a little bit more to the story. But does what happened? But I guess overall, does what happened take away from the story for me personally? No. On the first viewing, maybe on the third viewing, fourth viewing, fifth viewing, second viewing. I don't know. Maybe that that changes for me, especially with uh, you know, storied and, and illustrious Rich Haddam, the screenwriter, pointing it out. Maybe that does change for me, but I don't know. At this point, it didn't
1: change it for me. Good. I'm I no, I'm glad. I'm glad it it worked. And then and then this episode clearly then goes right into the conclusion. It almost yeah. looks like there's not a commercial break. It almost looks like when it aired, it just went right into the coda at back at INS.
0: Of course, watching on the garbage NBC app, I get that commercial break. Of course, get that a minute thirty commercials or whatever it is. We get the cut back and we see Emily just dressed head to toe, dressed to the nines. Carl asks her if, if it's business or if it's personal. Of course, she's going to say it's business. And God, this may be the this may be the best moment of the episode for me. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. Emily Emily getting some is is sort of interesting to me.
1: It's it's a really sweet moment. And it's kind of nice that it that after what we just saw we're treated to a really good sex positive moment <laughs> for Emily yeah. going out with Mr. Cartwright yeah. and 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 Carl sort of slowly tipping to oh oh that's the guy. Oh, that's the guy. Oh well, good luck, Emily. You know. Yes. With it. And again, it sort of it buys back their relationship. It's like, okay, we really are resetting the family here in a great way. They care about each other. They have a life. Their life is going on. And then, and of course, Carl then acknowledges. He's like, look. On the one hand, I would have loved to tell Emily the whole story because the end of the, the upshot of the story is that she might be the only person in the world that I trust. But if I told her that I would also have to tell her that I, I shot her <laughs> <laughs> I risked her yeah. life on, on, on the, you know, the flimsiest ground that I, uh, there's no way she would have followed me down here. Yeah. Uh, and luckily it was a monster, but uh, I don't want to tell her that. So yeah, um, So I'm just going to have to uh, keep this story to myself.
0: And I think it's sort of a situation too, where I'm watching it, where, where some things may take away, like say, say hypothetically you have 10 stars or 10, whatever out of 10, some things may put it down to an eight, but some things may bump it up to like an 11. So it sort of evens itself out in the end To me. Like this last scene was like the juxtaposition of having like him shoot Emily to him, See Emily, you know, go get some to, (laughs) to talking at the end. You know, I thought about talking about Emily about this, but then I'd have to admit, you know, as her being the person I trust or the only person I trust, but then I'd have to explain to her, you know, as you said,
1: that, you know, I I can totally believe like if I was writing this episode, I can totally see myself just writing the coda of Kolshak alone in the office going, well, you know. I saw Miss Emily. It means that I trust her, but I shot her. So I'll never tell her the story. And that's the end of the episode. And good night, everybody. And not actually have Emily in the scene. Yeah. But it's so much better. Getting that B story, that little runner, and then paying it off so that we can see her. And it's so dumb, but it's like just simply being reassured. She's still alive. They have a good relationship. Life goes on. It's so much richer. I totally agree with you.
0: So for the Spanish Moss murder, I sort of got taken out of that somewhat because you read, you brought the script to the, to the whole thing. You read the ending when it should have been. And I felt sort of cheated hearing that like, Hey, this is what I could have had. We see this guy with his hands exposed, look like human hands. But I think the rock Shasa makeup and the, in the suit was so well done that that sort of added to it, that even if his and also the psychological, I guess, component of it of, hey, do I shoot Emily? Do I not shoot Emily? The fact that he just crumples over like within two seconds and dies. The, the fact that there's that half second of pause where you think, oh, shit, he really shot Emily and killed her. And that upped it for me. That upped the ante and made it. Uh, sort of balanced out the bad parts for me
2: i'd like to have told miss emily that the rakshasa appeared to me as her according to the legend it meant that i trusted her but then i would have also had to tell her that i shot a steel arrow straight into her i don't think she would have appreciated that but in the final analysis what's the difference as long as we all trust each other why should anyone's feelings be bruised and if you happen to be walking along a lonely country road one night and you see your favorite aunt coming toward you, good luck to you, too.
0: And I think that's what we're going get to get into next is our rating. And, uh, you know, Rich, what would you give this episode out of 10? What would you give it?
1: Well, we're, we're comparing it to other Night Stalker episodes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We're, we're not comparing it to uh, you know every you know movie and television show I've ever seen. If there's going to be a Night Stalker episode that I give a ten to, it's going to be this one. I, so I'm going to give this one a ten, and I don't recall did I give Spanish Moss Murders a ten?
0: Also? You gave it a ten. So here on Cold Lake what we get, what we do is we give it ten somethings out of something. So what is a funny thing that you think of from this episode that relates? Ten, I don't
1: well, know. Well, 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 10, you know, crossbow arrows. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, that's what I'd give it. 10 plates of beef curry out of 10. <laughs> Plus, out of 10. You know, oh, I, don't, I don't
0: know if I'd go with that last one. <laughs> the,
1: uh, this one, uh, you know, the Spanish Moss Murders, I give a 10 for sentimental reasons. This yeah. one, I give a 10 because I honestly think that, that in all categories, it is the best Night Stalker episode of all.
0: Yeah. And I think that this is the episode I give a, uh, 10, uh, sexually driven columns out of 10. I don't know for one, for some reason I, I told Robert that I would give, I would just sort of reference sexual <laughs> references because there's so many sexual innuendos in the night stalker that weren't, uh, I guess overtly said, uh, I'd give this 10, you know,
1: 10 shots out of 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah rich rich you 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 know you knocked that one out of the bark uh we're gonna call you like Aaron judge or something i don't know who's somebody who's playing baseball nowadays yeah 10 babe ruth's or 10 uh hormone shots out of 10 you nailed that one yeah i thought this was the perfect episode of cole shack that i've seen so far the best one and the there the are things that are make up for it the, especially the dynamic between tony Ron and, and Carl that sort of pick up for the instances where I think that the story lacked, which even if I think that lacked, I don't think it lacked much, uh, but I think that picked it up the end with Emily leftly bumped it up a few. So uh, i would give it 10 out of 10.
1: Uh, Beautiful.
0: I love it. And uh, is there anything else we need? So I usually do a movie picks of the week, but I, I don't know what you would, what movies would, would go with uh, a rock Shasta. Is there any an in Indian horror movies that you know of uh, yeah. or what,
1: I've never, and I've never seen this particular legend used in anything else. No, this is not something that got picked up on. We never saw it in the X-Files or I, as far as I know, there's never been a movie about it. Um, But it's such an interesting concept for, for a monster to sort of, I mean, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing. It's it's that can camouflage itself into something that doesn't look dangerous so we instinctually understand it, but to, but to go even further, now I've, I've researched the Rakshasa in, yeah. um, in Indian mythology and what it seems to imply is that it's a monster that um, disguises itself as a harmless animal. So you, you might, yeah. you know, if you're in the countryside, you might see it as a goat or a cow and, and approach it thinking, oh, I'm gonna, you know, maybe I can use this as a food source but then it, it switches the script and uses you for a food source. And, and the fact that it then was extrapolated further by Jimmy Sangster and David chase. And, and it's like, well, it it camo now that we're in a modern age, it camouflages itself by appearing to you as someone you trust. Yeah. I mean, I I just think it's such a beautiful concept. Um, And, and almost for that alone, it makes it a top episode so so again, you excuse some of the production issues that I've had and some of the logic issues that I've picked up on over the years. but in terms of performances and just you know the enjoyment of the episode, I, I would say the first half of the episode I like more than the second half because the first half is where all the the interesting conceptual stuff yeah comes yeah out. and the notion that it's a Jewish area and 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 somehow these swastikas are 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 part of what appears to be the danger, but, it, but it really isn't. It's, it's, the swastikas are being put up to, to scare off the Rakshasa. I mean, all that stuff is so clever and interesting um, and, and really gives the story many places to go before you finally get to, okay, here's what's going on. Um, my favorite part about the second half of the episode is that scene with, uh, with, with, um, uh, is the actor's name Abraham Sofia or Sofar? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just I find that scene really touching. So, so with the early scenes between Tony and Kolchak, and then the later scene with Kolchak showing concern for this old guy, I think we're really we're 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 seeing things we don't often see in Night Stalker episodes, and I wish we got a lot more of. And we don't actually get too much more of that kind of thing. I will I will let you know that now. We get a lot of good stuff, but we don't get a lot of that stuff. So again, great episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I I disagree with you a bit because I love the second half. I love the second half of the uh, the, and maybe it's because of what the first half built. But I love the second half of like the the. And this is an episode. So out of all the Colshake episodes, some of them, I would think that like, like, you know, the, of course the first movie with Dan Curtis and uh, Richard Matheson, I would say like, Hey, this, they could build a whole series about him hunting vampires or something. But this is like the first episode of the series that I think they could build a whole damn series around him. Just hunting different rock shots across the country, across the globe, you know, with these blessed
1: arrows. I know. I mean, there's, there's just something about that guy's story that just feels like untapped uh untapped veins of gold
0: yeah and and i think that's one of the things that uh that i love uh is so i'm looking here i can't think of any movies uh we talked about the science a little bit is there anything else we need to cover here
1: we haven't nailed it in one of our marathon three hour episodes i don't know how we're ever gonna do it
0: yeah um i definitely agree with that uh
1: Bradley, thank you so much for letting me join in on this episode, because again, obviously it's one that I love. So uh, anytime I get to talk about it, I'm thrilled and talking with you and having a few drinks is always a fun way to spend a night.
0: Yeah, and and, and joining you, Rich, and me having a few too many drinks was a fun way to spend the night. Uh, I actually am so drunk, I can't drive home. I actually got a, a key to the Avalon uh, Motel here. <laughs> I'm going to have to go stay.
1: Amazing souvenir. Oh, my God. I, I'm going to have to go on eBay right now, see if I can get
0: one. Dude, you can get it for like seven bucks or something. So I'm going to the Avalon Hotel. Nothing. Room 22 is what I got here. I don't know if you nothing happens in room 22. Uh, that I can think of.
1: That is room in, uh, in Mothman? Was 22
0: yeah. the room? It was the it was room. Um, I got to
1: check it
0: out. I got to get it. What else do I have here? I've got my my recorder. I'm sure you have one of these as well. Uh, I'll drag out all my phones. He's digging around. Uh, But yeah, I've got all this stuff. I've got my camera and I've got the... So I've got my camera back here and I've got my flash, but I don't have the adapter. That adapter is hard to come by, man. I don't know what the hell is the deal with that adapter, but I can't find it. Damn, German made, made a made cameras or whatever uh hey rich dude this has been so fun having you on we've had you you know what two better episodes to have you on the spanish moss murders and horror in the heights Uh, i hope to have you on again we're gonna have you on i guess again when we talk to rodney and even if that ain't the next episode we'll talk sometime with rodney but, yeah, we're going to have an episode with him and Rodney writing the 21st episode of Kohl's Shack. If you could write the 21st episode of Col Shack, what would it be? And I don't know how far we'll get into it, but we're going to just hash that out, you know. i got to figure that out. Talking about Kohl's what's funner than talking about Kohl's Shack? So if you can find us, you can find Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam on Twitter. Is that right? and uh you can find us at colchax loop on any anywhere you find anything uh your wife posts some interesting stuff too. what has your wife been up to i don't ask a lot about your wife
1: she's she's writing she's uh writing plays she's producing things she's there's it feels like there's always 10 projects going on with her so but she definitely is on she's on facebook and 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 you know i would not be surprised if you uh If you ran across her on Twitter and Facebook. So, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things I want to do one day. I want to have you and your wife on to talk about Kolchak. I don't know why, but that just that would be fun just to talk about. Does she what has she seen? Do you know how many episodes of Kolchak she's seen?
1: I forced her to watch some. uh, (laughs) That's definitely something that she leaves to me.
0: Yeah, but maybe we can get that to happen. Which she actually has replied on Twitter and said she would do it one day. I don't know if, if she did that too,
1: uh if, if you get her to say yes, then that's a yes.
0: <laughs> but, you know, that would be super fun one day. But, uh, you know, we'll wrap this up here. For all things Call shack uh, you can find us right here inside the loop.